Hello again, everybody. Lance Russell and Dave Brown right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sully, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Cheers, another outstanding card. Hey, guys, and welcome back to another edition of the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. That's right, guaranteed 100% territory talk each and every time out here on the show. And I am your host, Ray Russell, getting ready for another trip down memory lane. And this week, guys, very excited as we begin 1985 in the Memphis Wrestling Territory. But before we get to all that, just want to say I hope everybody out there had a safe and happy holiday. No matter what you celebrate, a Merry Christmas, a Happy Kwanzaa, a Happy Hanukkah. And depending on when you listen to this, hoping you're having a happy and healthy 2024. Wow, another year older. Nevertheless, it was not too long ago that Steve Crawford joined the show as we set the stage for the CWA, the Memphis Territory here in 1985. Had a blast talking with Steve and can't wait to have him back again very soon. But now we get into things here this week. We're going to jump into the first week of Memphis in 1985. Going to take a look at the first week of TV, some of the recent Mid-South Coliseum results, and we're even going to have a little fun with the Jerry Lawler Show. And to do all of that, I've called upon the latest addition to the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, the latest in the revolving door of guest co-hosts here. He's going to be here more often than not here for the Memphis 85 Voyage. I'm talking about Gene Jackson. Yes, Gene's going to join the show in just a few moments. But first, just a friendly reminder that you can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast along with our sister shows like the Wrestling Stoop with the legend himself, Bob Roop, and the Wrestling Memory Grenade. You can also listen to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. It's WWF versus WCW, Monday Night Raw versus Monday Nitro, covering the entire history of the Monday Night War one week at a time. And you can listen to all of those shows and more as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met from Apple to Spotify, Google, and beyond. And be sure to follow me on social media, guys, for all the latest goings on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. Plus, I'm constantly adding old-school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. You can follow me on social media. Follow me on X, formerly Twitter. You can follow me there at Rasslin Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me, Facebook.com slash Rasslin Grenade. Over 7,300 followers on Facebook right now and counting. So join today. And speaking of joining, why don't you guys subscribe to my YouTube channel? Very important time to do so because I'm going to be dropping all of Memphis 1985 right there at youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. So you guys can watch along as we talk about the episodes of TV. We do something very similar to that with the UWF project here on regional wrestling as well with guest Roman Gomez. And perhaps we'll even jump into that with Jamie Ward when we get to the second half of Georgia in 81. So very important time to subscribe today. YouTube.com slash wrestling grenade doesn't cost you a penny, but you can still show your appreciation because now would be a tremendous time to become a WrestleCopia patron. Talking about that $5 all-access tier 
over at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. That address again, patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. Yes, indeed. All sorts of gifts for just five bucks, including all of my insanely detailed book-like show notes for the Wrestling Memory Grenade, Monday Warfare, and yes, of course, the Regional Wrestling Podcast as well. You'll also get early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia, where you can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. But it doesn't end there. You also get remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade Show, covering the 1989 NWA Project. Talking Sting, Flair, Luger, Steamboat, Terry Funk. Oh my God, the list goes on and on. And those remastered versions include enhanced sound quality, plus new content and conversation never heard before. But that's still not all. You also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure. And of course, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, covering many past WWF and WCW events. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5. $5, guys. No subscription. Cancel any time. Please, show your support. Give it a try for a month. I think you'll like the content that I offer, and every penny of it goes right back here into paying the bills to keep the WrestleCopia podcast network up and running for the months and the years to come. All right, with all of that said, time to get into things here this week, and oh boy, I can't wait. As we head back to the year of 1985 in the Memphis Wrestling Territory. Something about that song, something about that theme song, just makes everything feel right. And I've got a guy here this week that's going to make this program feel all right. As much like Steve Crawford, he is a Memphis wrestling fan extraordinaire. So let's bring him in for his maiden voyage here on Regional Wrestling. Everyone, please welcome Mr. Gene Jackson to the show. Gene, welcome to Regional Wrestling. All right, man. It's good to be here. I am excited to play dave brown to your lance russell here on the uh 1985 memphis version of the regional wrestling podcast man it's awesome to be here thanks for having me oh man to be the same name as uh russell you know I, i'm not obviously i'm not lance russell but just being so close to the name lance russell just makes me giddy inside to know that we are here we are here to tackle 1985 in the memphis territory gene it's great to have you we've been talking for a few weeks here getting this thing off the ground. And I don't know if you had the opportunity to listen to the episode of regional wrestling that I did with Steve Crawford, where we set the stage for 85 in the CWA by looking at the various things going on, not just in the Memphis territory, but the pro wrestling landscape as a whole. We talked national expansion with the WWF and the panic it caused with the other territories, of course, pro wrestling USA and beyond. So during that episode with Steve Jean, we zipped through some results for the end of 1984. And this week, we're going to look at a little deeper into a pair of those shows as we kick things off here in 1985. In particular, 
we'll be taking a look at what initiated the Lawler-Eddie Gilbert feud, plus some other goodies as well. I did listen to that. Uh, great show. Uh, you know, of course, Steve's very knowledgeable about Memphis. So, you know, what a, what a great guy to have along for the ride. And uh, <clears throat> a lot of interesting stuff coming out of 84, you know, to set the table for 85. So I'm glad you guys were able to take a step back and cover all that and kind of give some context before we, you know, dive into 85. Yeah, there was quite a bit of turnover in talent by the end of 84 going into 85. I We mentioned it repeatedly, kind of like a reset button of sorts, but we do, obviously, Lawler's going nowhere. We do have a few tag teams sticking around heading to the new year, but really outside of maybe Eddie Gilbert, not a whole lot left here with Rick Rude, Bundy, and the like gone. So it's going to be interesting to see who pops up here in the early part of the year. One thing I do want to comment on that I'm glad you guys touched on is mm-hmm. – uh because I was excited to go because I didn't get to see a lot of 84 in real time. This is 85 is kind of where I picked it up as a kid. Oh, oh cool. And uh, I, uh, I <laughs> you know, I love Lance Russell growing up. I grew up really more of uh, Gordon on Continental is where I first you know saw Gordon Sully because I didn't mm-hmm. have access to Georgia TV until around late 85, 86. And, uh, you know, you think Lance Russell's awesome. Gordon Sully's awesome. Man, you put them together. This is going to be the best thing ever. And uh, uh, no, it, uh-uh. it just didn't work. Brother. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. So, yeah. Well, oh, well you know, they, tried. <laughs> they sure did. And, uh, you know, we did touch on that. But we'll touch on that again at the beginning of the TV program here this week when we get to January 5th, because I got a soundbite for everybody to listen to. And. You can't see a soundbite, Gene, but man, can, you can you can see the smile on Lance Russell's face, even in the audio. But we'll talk about that in a little later on. But yeah, man, it was just a, a very interesting time. Gordon Sully getting a tryout. The first time, you know, growing up, we didn't have the internet, and I didn't know anything about this. And when tape trading really got big back in the early to mid-90s, I got a hold of that Memphis, just a little bit of it, with Gordon Sully. And I was in what Vince would call bizarro world, pal. I'm like, what the hell is this? Because there was no explanation yeah. to me as to how that came about. So why the hell is Gordon Soley in the Memphis studio? Blew my mind, you know, some, what, 20, almost 30 years ago. Yeah, it's really weird how it all came together. And Pro Wrestling USA is just one of the most bizarre times in, in wrestling. <laughs> and, and again, it's another thing that sounded great on paper, but boy, it just did not come through. Yeah, it's like I said, a Voltron of squash matches, if you ever wanted to see that, man. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> TV exactly. tapings are plenty. Uh, Roman Gomez actually used to go to those TV tapings. He was telling me they would like, you know, start at like 8 p.m. and last to like 2 a.m. And he'd have to explain to his mother why wrestling, you know, last six, seven, eight hours. So I was like, damn, bro, geez. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll touch more on that in the, the weeks to come. Maybe we'll get Roman on here as like a third person and, and talk to him his experiences at those shows. But uh, just to give everybody an idea of the format here on the Memphis 85 project on regional wrestling, We're going to try and cover all of the bases, and that includes, of course, we'll be covering every bit of the WMC TV5 studio wrestling program, thanks to Blair Krieger. Uh, He uh, spent years, you know, I talked to, I've known Blair for over 20 years, internet-wise, he's in Alabama, I'm up in Ohio, but we have, we talked ad nauseum in our, you know, in our 20s when we really didn't have a lot going on, so we just hung around, and at night we, we talked for hours about professional wrestling, old school wrestling, on the internet, the old AOL days. Remember those, Gene? And, I uh, do. <laughs> but uh, I feel old now. Yeah, I know. Me too. Me too. My God. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things he did during that period was he put together this 1985 television set, and he literally spent a couple years on this project. And when somebody takes that long to complete something, typically you think, 
eh, they, they fell off the wagon somewhere. They're, you know, they lost interest. They're not really working on it as hard as they used to. But I can't say that. He really busted his butt. He refused to put this out until he had everything that seemingly existed on the footage. And kudos to him. I think he, he found 50 out of 52 episodes of the Memphis program from the 90-minute Memphis feed. Now, the other two are, you know, I think they're Louisville or something, but that's uh, insane. And uh, kudos to him. I got to give him another shout out here at the top of this show because, man, without him, we re- we could do this project, but no, we couldn't give it the justice that we can now. Oh, man. If, if, if Guys, if you're not at tape traders and, and weren't around back in the day, especially in the VHS days, but even on into the DVD era, uh, that's quite the project to take on because, man, I was really all about finding a lot of that older footage of just like 85 and 84 that I didn't get to see a lot of in real time. And I traded for so much garbage quality Memphis wrestling <laughs> that you would get it and you could barely make out what was on the screen. It was like yeah. watching scrambled porn or, you know, or something when you was a kid. Yeah. Uh, and to see the quality of this, of, you know, what you got from Blair and you're putting up over there on the YouTube channel. And folks, if you haven't, man, subscribe to the YouTube channel because there's so much good stuff over there beyond just the Memphis. But if nothing else, just for the, the top notch quality uh, Memphis TV that's there that's going up, you know, week in and week out that Ray's putting up. It, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, youtube.com slash wrestling grenade guys. Subscribe now, totally free. And we're going to be dropping each and every week of the Memphis Wrestling Television so that you guys can kind of watch along with us at your leisure and, and see what we're talking about, what we're discussing here. It's all going to be up there. Everything that we see, Gene, they'll be able to see over there on YouTube. So uh, definitely subscribe today, guys, because it's going to be a fun ride through 1985. I've already added all of January and soon to come the month of February over there on YouTube. So stay tuned there. So, But not only are we going to be covering the TV show, the studio show from WMC, we'll also look into as many house show results as we can find for the Mid-South Coliseum, Louisville Gardens, Evansville, Indiana, and beyond. And a big help on those Coliseum shows, the results, Gene, why don't you tell the listeners about the secondary Memphis TV program that many people out there may not even realize existed? Yeah. So, you know, I was kind of, I kind of found myself in a unique spot. Like as I'm talking to you right now, I live in Alabama, but I grew up in North Mississippi. And so we got TV five WMC. So we saw the live 90 minute uh, show from the studio on Saturday mornings, but on the Tupelo channel, uh, we got the secondary show. Uh, that would bring you matches from the Mid-South Coliseum. Um, sometimes they change the format, like especially over in Jackson, Tennessee, their version of it, uh, because the different cities, you know, it was on the, you know, the old bicycle, as you hear them say. Right. Uh, and so the different towns got Colise- either got Coliseum matches or a chopped up version of the studio show with promos cut in about, you know, the, the show that was coming to their town in particular, which is usually the same card, but it sometimes varied. Uh, so I would watch the uh, Memphis live show advertising the Monday night Coliseum show on Saturday morning. And then around noon that day, the Tupelo show would come on and everything would be a week behind. You'd be seeing you know, what you watched the week before on the live show and matches from the Coliseum from two weeks ago. And of course, we have a ton of those shows. So lots of Coliseum matches coming your way, guys. You're going to be able to check them out. Quality. Well, I don't know of all of our quality. We've got a few to talk about today that eh. I don't know if I want to throw the term around <laughs> quality around just, just like that, but uh, we got a lot of matches upcoming over the year of 1985 that I'm just thankful to exist on video that I can't wait to get to when we get there. But also, not only are we going to cover the house shows and both TV shows, but we'll also have some fun, if you want to call it that, 
at looking at more than 30 episodes of the Jerry Lawler Show from throughout 1985. Again, Gene, would you like to explain to everybody what the Jerry Lawler Show was for those not in the know? So on Sundays, uh, <laughs> local celebrity Jerry the King Lawler had his own show. It was a, it was a talk show of sorts uh, where you know the show would open up with you know the King sitting at a desk there and. He would do a little intro and then he would have different guests on some, you know, usually wrestlers, but then he also would have any number of different <laughs> people sure. on that just from uh, some that, you know, made sense and others are just like, what are we, why are we talking to this person? Hey, the car uh, show's in town this week. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it was meant to be seen there in Memphis. So I guess it was, you know, it was relevant for the time and the area and all that, but it's, it's a mixed bag, but it is a lot of fun and it just kind of, I don't know. It's kind of a, a look into if you've only seen the wrestling show, uh, kind of how Jerry Lawler was perceived there in Memphis. He was the king, and uh, people who didn't like wrestling, didn't know wrestling, they knew who Jerry Lawler was. For yeah, sure. just ask the forty-six local businesses that used Lawler as their spokesperson throughout those shows. My God, could you imagine how much money Lawler made on the side, or at least you know he got everything for free in that town? He certainly was the king, I guess. Because, oh, absolutely. Holy. <laughs> I don't know about that picture of Lawler in that tanning bed half naked, but I digress. <laughs> so we're going to talk about all of that. And of course, guys, sound bites galore when appropriate, whether it's a great promo or something we simply find amusing because me and Gene, we have, we both have a sense of humor. Now that's another fair warning. I'm not going to say it every week, but we'll say it right out of the gate. Gene, you're, you label yourself a comedian by trade, right? And, uh, I've been told I was a comedian at least since the 10th grade by every teacher and, and student and, and friend and, and whatever I've, I've ever had. So I've kind of held back a little bit here because I try to have a little fun, but we also want to talk about history. Absolutely. But I don't want anybody to take anything too seriously when we, you know, we go into something, maybe we make fun of something someone says. We're not, you know, we're not blasting your favorite wrestler, or your favorite announcer. We're just having some fun here while we talk about wrestling history. Exactly. And I'm from the South. I was... You know, I lived an hour from Memphis, so I can make I can make fun of uh, some of the things they say and the accents and all that different stuff. And you know, it's not you can't get as mad if if it comes if I'm involved. So, well, but I mean, Memphis <laughs> Memphis lends fun. itself to comedy. I'm sorry, folks. Yeah. You know, oh, we yeah. all love our wrestling. I mean, mm -hmm. Lord knows Ray wouldn't uh, spend the amount of time he spends on all these different podcasts if he didn't love it. But, you know, there's some fun stuff in Memphis that all, really all you can do is just kind of shake your head and laugh and be yeah. like, wow, they did that. That yeah. happened. <laughs> yeah, if you can't poke fun, you know, at, at things, I, everything should, you know, everything should have a little fun to it, right? Even if it's not intentional. And I'm sure we'll, we'll find that along the way. Uh, but, yeah, you know, you were talking about, you know, being from the South. I, I, I'm Northeastern Ohio born and raised. However, I was raised by my grandparents from birth. They're from Southeastern Kentucky and by Cornette alone. He says the two most craziest places he ever worked as the manager was the bayous of Louisiana and southeastern Kentucky. And they were from a little small, I don't even want to call it a town, in the hills, literally in the hills, guys, in a holler, population a couple hundred maybe, of an old mining town, old coal mining town. So they were deep south type, uh, you know, Kentucky people, good people, really good people who came up here way back in the 1950s. And my grandfather got a job, you know, at General Motors, and he retired from there in the 1980s. So, yeah, but they raised me from birth. And so I, I know all of the, you know, the shenanigans that go on and all the uh, different lingo and things as well. So uh, I'll, I'll catch some of this, too, hopefully. 
But I'm going to stick to you, Gene. I'm going to let you, you know, you've been down there longer than I. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see what, what goes on here, guys. But we're going to get going. And before we get to 85, because a lot of the episodes of that secondary show we talked about, that Gene was talking about with Coliseum matches in January of 85 actually aired shows or matches, excuse me, from the December 28th Mid-South Coliseum shows. We're going to go over those Coliseum shows because they're kind of relevant anyway, uh, setting up the Jerry Lawler, Eddie Gilbert feud, which we're going to touch on big time by the time we get to TV here, Gene. So first we'll go back to a special Friday night edition at the Mid-South Coliseum of uh, Championship Wrestling here. Some of the undercard, Lanny Poffo over the spoiler, Frank Morell under a hood, Candy Devine defeating Amy Monroe. It's Ken Wayne and Danny Davis, the former Nightmares guys. They're no longer the Nightmares because they've been unmasked. They score a win here over the men who beat them, Tim Ashley and Steve Constance, so that feud will continue. Also, Dirty White Boys over the interns. Two more teams currently locked in a feud of sorts. So here we go. We got four more matches on the card. All of these air on the January 7th edition, at least in Jackson, Tennessee, of that secondary show, the Coliseum show, uh, the Coliseum matches. Sorry, guys. Um, So here we go. We got four big matches. Well, three big matches and whatever the hell this is. Gene's laughing. I don't know either because he knows from his notes or he's looking at mine, but either way, my God, it all kicks off with Playboy Frazier. He's no longer Plowboy Frazier. Stan Frazier, the future Uncle Elmer, for those who don't really know their Memphis wrestling, Uncle Elmer in the WWF here, he was also the Plowboy, wore similar overalls and whatnot, but here, Gene, he's now the Playboy. Yeah, Stan Frazier, my goodness. Uh, I mean, we talk about having some laughs. I mean, you, you go you know, back through the history of Kamala 2 and you know all the different craziness that they did with Stan Frazier. But yeah, at this point, he's now Playboy Frazier. And when this popped on my screen when I was watching these <laughs> and I see Playboy Frazier standing across from Tojo Yamamoto and I think of all the matches on the card that night, and especially the ones you just read off that happened, like, why would you put this on television? Yeah. You know, and it's like that old saying, they started out slow and they tapered off from there. You know, it's like it's just a bunch of nothing. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I'm sure you're looking at my notes like, how Ray, how the hell did you come up with this many lines of, of uh, you know, wordage for this match? And I think it's because <laughs> I was having fun with it because uh, it is Pla- Playboy Frazier. I beg my pardon there. Uh, he pins Tojo Yamamoto in this matchup. So it's Tojo and the Playboy in 1985, by the way, guys, or at the end of 84. So we spend the first four minutes of this matchup, Gene, with classic Memphis stalling. I threw the word classic in there, so it sounded good anyway. But is it really classic when everybody in the territory does it? In my notes, I put put the first few minutes of they did enough stalling to embarrass Larry Zabisco at this point. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) They sure did. So we got Lance Russell and Randy Hales on the call for this one, by the way. We get that one camera angle, the hard camera, the wide shot from that lower deck there. Good shot. You can catch everything that way. As the Playboy removes his rings and his golden watch, supposedly gold watch, I don't know that that really says Rolex, but Playboy removing all of his, well, let's listen to what Lance says. Look at his uh, wrist and his uh, fingers, the gold. Ah, he is shaking the nuggets off right now, Randy. He was telling everybody to hold it. He wanted to get rid of his personal treasury as it comes off his uh, wrist, and now he'll start peeling off. This could take two or three minutes, too, because he's got so many rings on. Ah, he's shaking the nuggets off, Gene. My God. (laughs) 
Now, that's not really a southern what a term, eh? What a line. <laughs> Listen again. Oh, he is shaking the nuggets off right now, Randy. Oh, shaking them off. The Playboy shaking the nuggets off. I don't want to think about the Playboy's wow. nuggets. I don't know about you, Gene. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I wouldn't think they'd be able to air him shaking his nuggets off, but uh, they did, and we got to see it, unfortunately. Yeah, so we're like four or five minutes into the matchup at this point, by the way, guys, and finally, we get a test of strength from the seven-foot Playboy and the five-foot Tojo Yamamoto. Quite a sight, guys, I, I promise you. As the Playboy easily wins that, Tojo comes back, though, with those martial arts chops, sending Frazier down to his knees. As the plowboy goes into his trunks, nailing Yamamoto with a foreign object to the midsection, drops him down finally, and we get a monster leg drop, which actually does get a loud pop from the fans. So the very first real move of the matchup, I don't know where we are, seven minutes into the match, and uh, Uncle Elmer drops the big leg there, brother. <laughs> I just, again, I just, I can't believe looking through that footage, like, let's put that Tojo uh, Playboy match on TV. That'll, that'll make people want to come out and buy a ticket next time they're in town. Yeah, you're right. I scroll back up. You got a couple of good tag team matches, right, that weren't aired. And then the ladies match, it's something different. Candy Divine, fairly young yeah. here at this you know stage as well. I mean, I'm not really uh, fiending for a Lanny Poffo spoiler match per se, but I'm, well, sure, I'm sure Frank Morrell wasn't uh, setting the ring on fire either, but no. uh, I'm sure we got some movement out of Poffo at least. <laughs> <laughs> More than we, we cared for, I'm sure. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I think about to shake some nuggets off for that matter. But. Yeah, there you go. So the playboy, though, he misses a second leg drop attempt, actually tucking his free leg under himself kind of figure fouring as they call it in training uh, on the bump. So I wrote a no-no. That is that is a big no-no. You do not figure for your legs when you try to drop one. But good thing Tojo moved because he would have been splattered after that. And I wrote, oh, shit. When Frazier gets to his knees, he is met with an angry Asian gene. Tojo begins chopping away on the big man. Frazier back into his tights again, uses the object a second time, dropping Yamamoto and makes the cover while reaching up and pushing down on the top rope for that added leverage he needed there. Stan Frazier scoring the win. Eight minutes and 49 seconds, I wrote. Talk about doing as little as you possibly can. Yeah, I, you know what's crazy? I, I, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but just for a little <laughs> bit of context here, is like yeah. I started watching Memphis around this time, late, really, <laughs> really late 85, 86. So, I mean, the wild action we saw out of Tojo here is kind of all I knew Tojo to be is very slow and prodding in the ring and mostly a manager, you know, of whatever Japanese tag teams mm -hmm. were coming through the area. Uh, but, you know, my dad and my uncle would tell me, you know, all these stories. And over the years, you talk to people and a lot of fans, older fans, when you mentioned Memphis wrestling, the first name out of their mouths, Tojo Yamamoto, you know, in his heyday. He was a big deal around there and people yeah. really believed in him and they talk about those wooden shoes, you know, he used to hit people with. Right. And so it's kind of weird that, you know, I, I have to remember that at my age now at 46, uh, when some of these younger guys, you know, start knocking guys that I'm a huge fan of, I have to realize like, oh, you've only seen, you know, I, I'm friends with people who've only seen the Ric Flair of the last five years. Right. Uh, you know, my, my first context of Harley race was the King, you know, and then you go back and see his, whole career, you know, and right. find out he's the NBA champion all that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Tojo is kind of a, a punchline at this point, but man, he was a really, really big deal in Memphis for a lot of years. And I know that's why Jerry Jarrett and, you know, Lawler keep him around. And uh, I'm sure he still sells a few tickets even at this point, but oh my gosh, that match was, uh, 
not a highlight. No, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a lot of old school diehards out there that are just happy to see Tojo still on the card. And like you said, he probably, I don't know, by himself is selling tickets, but I'm sure people are technically coming to see that Tojo do his thing in the ring. Maybe not so much losing to Playboy Frazier here, though. But uh, before we move on, I did write another note here about how does Vince McMahon drop the ball on a potential Playboy Frazier gimmick? It, it just seems to be right up the WWF alley. Can you imagine if we had gotten a WWF version, a New York version of Playboy Frazier? Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, I know, I know the hillbilly thing was going on at the time, and you know he filled in for hillbilly Jim and all that. But he could, he could at least transition into Playboy Frazier because, like you say, that's eighties, that's eighties WWF if you ever seen it for sure. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, with that WWF brand, with that money behind him, what he could have worn, you know, outside of these nuggets uh, that Lance Russell just keeps talking about. Ah, uh, he is shaking the nuggets off right now, Randy. Was- All right, well, we're going to shake our nuggets off of that match. We're going to roll on here as we see Mid-American Champion, you talk about stalling, the king of stalling, Iron Mike Sharp going to a no contest with the Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Valiant. Or was it a no contest? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, So right before this one, we get Michael Landon selling us life insurance. I wrote, oh, the irony. Guy does Bonanza, Little House. I think he was maybe doing Highway to Heaven by this point. I wrote, did he really need to sell life insurance too? He needed the line right before you hit that highway to heaven. Make sure you're covered. Your family's covered when you leave them behind. And of course, the irony being it's not too many years later, Michael Landon passes away himself. So uh, we we get back to the action, guys. We get a ton of action here. And I I use the term loosely. So Mike Sharp sporting that forearm brace. Keep an eye on that in this matchup as uh, the 300 pound Sharp bumping like a champion early on. I shit you not, guys, for the boogie woogie man. Lots of stalling and bailing, though, like only Iron Mike can do in between those bumps. Uh, More than five minutes into this matchup, and Sharp seemingly finally loads his forearm band and blasting Valiant with it repeatedly, knocking him damn near out and busting him wide open. Nasty blade job here by the Boogie Woogie Man, as Sharp just keeps blasting Jimmy across the wound, biting him on the forehead until referee Jerry Calhoun calls for the bell. Valiant just out on his feet, bleeding profusely, Calhoun says Jimmy simply can't continue, but I got to ask, he continuously beats him with his forearm band and bites at his head. Why is Sharp not getting disqualified here? It's Memphis is about all you can say. You know what I mean? Like, I uh, feel like that's going to be the, it, a term we use each and every week here on the show. Absolutely. Because when it fit the finish or the storyline, you know, they was all about DQ and somebody, but if that wasn't the finish, then this shit would go on and you're just like, why is this happening? Why is it? And, I'm still trying to figure out how a forearm pad busts somebody's head open to that extent. But well, I anyway, think he loaded it. I, mean, I, I don't know what he loaded it with. <laughs> I, I guess. Something sharp underneath, I guess. A few uh, nuggets. But, you know, Jimmy Valiant is a guy who was just tailor-made for Memphis. Like, you know, in Jim oh. Crockett Promotions, you know, after you've watched Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson and Ric Flair and all these guys, and then a Jimmy Valiant match comes on, you're just like, what the fuck is it? You know, what is this? Oh, like, what, you know. Yeah. But man, Memphis, where you're you're down there and you're fighting and you're bleeding and you know he he is tailor made for it. And I don't care how many of these matches we watch, I cannot get used to Iron Mike Sharp getting in this much offense, much less winning, much less holding titles. It's bizarre. It's hard for me to, even though I'm watching it, it's hard for me to envision Mike Sharp in the Memphis territory. Just doesn't doesn't seem to mix well. But you're right about Jimmy Valiant on the other end. I mean, I thought he was perfect, tailor-made here, gig and, you know, go down and do those convulsions that only Jimmy Valiant can do. And <laughs> I just kept waiting for something to happen here, a comeback of some sort. 
And it just, it was just, they just kept beating on him, and then they just called the match, and that was it. Really, really weird finish here, for, for me anyway. But again, like you said, it's Memphis. So I, I wrote, though, these guys were meant for each other, because Jimmy Valiant, he liked doing as little as possible, and Mike Sharp's whole gimmick was trying to prevent as little as possible from happening. So I'm just tailor-made, like you said. Absolutely. I agree 100%. We go on. We get a commercial here. I'm going to bring up these commercials from time to time because they make me pop, guys. Got a Statler Brothers commercial here. Send your checks right now straight to Jackson, Tennessee. Hmm, sounds a little fishy. Same city <laughs> as the uh, commercial is airing. I wrote, wow, I haven't seen a Statler Brother commercial in, well, 35 years. I, man, I got to say, you know, like, it's almost as much fun for me to see these old commercials as the wrestling matches. Like it just, it's very, the nostalgia of it all is, it's fun. Do you think commercials were just that awesome when we, you know, when we were younger or, or, or is it just a nostalgia thing? Because I can't stand, nostalgia. you think so? Because I just can't stand, yeah, you know, the so. commercials from the last 20, 25 years, but man, give me some eighties well, commercials. Mm. I mean, if I could skip over them back then I did. And once I, you know, I got the VCR going, I would usually skip over them. But then again, like, I'll sit now. I'll go on YouTube and watch video the compilations of just yeah, 80s. Commercials. 20 minutes of 80s commercials. Absolutely. Just fired up. <laughs> but I don't think 20 years from now or 30 years from now, anybody's going to be watching compilations of present day commercials. So you may be on to something. It may just be they really were better back then. Yeah, just more cheesy and more fun. Lots of Selsun Blue commercials, too, and things. But we'll, <laughs> we'll roll on right now, guys. Uh, we get a Terry Taylor music video set to Some Days Are Diamonds by John Denver. And you can thank the Shazam app for that one, Gene, because I was not familiar with that song. Now, I do know Country Roads, Rocky Mountain High, Thank God I'm a Country Boy, but not so much this one. Wasn't exactly Freeze Frame. That is the weirdest song for a wrestling music video I believe I've ever heard, going back through all the different ones. I was just like, what? How do you come about picking this? I just see Jerry Jarrett like, oh, play John Denver. Some days are diamonds. Like, oh, it had to be like a Jerry Jarrett decision, right? I'm sick to death of that freeze frame (laughs) video between UWF and Memphis. (laughs) I know you got to be tired of it. Oh yeah. Roman, Roman, uh, Roman Gomez jokes about it all the time, not just on air, but off air. He'll say, you know, I think I saw that more than anything in wrestling history was the Terry Taylor freeze frame video. Joel Watts got a lot of play out of that one. Uh, But we'll roll on. So we get a Terry Taylor music video, guys, uh, on the TV program to set up a matchup that took place December 28th. It was Terry Taylor taking on the international champion, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, joined three minutes in progress. Is Taylor working the arm of Gilbert? Lance Russell says this is their first ever one-on-one encounter. Now, it's Lance saying it, so I trust him, even if it's not true. As uh, Gilbert finally takes over after Terry... Going to miss a charge in the quarter, run shoulder first into the steel post. Gilbert then going to toy with Taylor, laying in some great punches during a methodical beatdown. Terry, though, mustering up some energy, tries for a scoop slam. But Eddie, shifting his weight, turns it into crossbody of sorts, whatever you want to call that. Eddie landing on top for another two count on Terry Taylor there as Gilbert once again back in control until he, too, misses a corner charge and eats that steel post. Unforgiving tonight. And now it's Terry's time to fire up Gene until referee Jerry Calhoun pushes Taylor back, allowing Eddie to trip Terry up and make a cover using his feet on the ropes for leverage. And we get the one, two, three. It appears Eddie Gilbert steals the win. It would seem somewhere around, well, six minutes shown of a nine minute matchup. Yes, he uh, gets the win with the feet on the ropes. Classic heel move uh, in wrestling. And, uh, 
So I'm going to tell you something about me right now. You're, you're going to learn as we, as we go along. Right. Uh, and it's going to make you wonder how I'm a fan of, well, wrestling in general, but Lord forbid <laughs> Memphis wrestling. But okay. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm very, my wife has always said about me, as long as we've known each other, that I'm way too logical and that that's why I don't enjoy science fiction and it's why I pick apart all the horror movies she loves. And it's almost annoying to watch the stuff with me because I'm like, well, that don't make any freaking sense. Why would you not do this or why would you not do that? And I'll get more into that once you get to the, the complete finish of the match. I'll, I'll tell you more about that. All right. And so, as Gene said, we're going to talk a little bit more here because this match actually isn't over. We thought Eddie Gilbert stole the win there, but Taylor going to plead his case alongside the fans. And Jerry Calhoun still seems uncertain that he wants to continue the match. That is until old Kingfish himself, Jerry Lawler, comes out. And it's the King who finally convinces Jerry Calhoun of the chicanery. And maybe maybe Lawler came out late a guilt trip on Jerry Calhoun for breaking his leg a few years back. I don't really know what happens here. But nevertheless, <laughs> Calhoun restarts the matchup. And an angry Eddie Gilbert takes a swipe at Jerry Lawler at the apron, but he misses. And Terry Taylor from behind with a reverse rolling cradle, going to secure the 1-2-3, scores the pin in just eight seconds flat. Terry Taylor, the new international champion, with a little help from the King, which will play into the next match as well. Now that's all well and good, but now me being Mr. Overly Logical Wrestling fan here <laughs> uh, and overanalyzing things, as a fan, ha having seen this happen, moving forward, I would think, okay, well, we've just established that if somebody comes out and tells the referee what happened when a heel cheats, we can restart the damn match. So how come every babyface doesn't have at least one of their buddies watch every match they have so that if anything goes sideways and anybody cheats, they can just come down and tell the referee what happened. We can restart the match and we can right the wrong. That should happen every week now, right? Well, no, it never happened again, but uh, <laughs> seems like you would do that once you establish that's a, a possibility. But then again, maybe it's just because it's the king, you know, maybe maybe only Jerry Lawler can get away with that sort of thing. Well, and maybe Jerry Lawler just felt like coming out and being the actual reason for the title change. Terry Taylor didn't really win the title. The king kind of won the title for Terry Taylor. Let's, let's all be realistic here, guys. So <laughs> speaking of Terry, though. Yeah. During that TV program, Lance Russell does a sit-down interview in the locker room with Terry after the matchup. The new international champion having defeated Eddie Gilbert here on December 28th, Terry says he's happy to be back in the Memphis Territory and hopes to return as often as he can, guys, as Lance says he, I sure hope you bring the title back, and they have a little laugh there, but oh yeah, Taylor will bring the belt back, Lance, in July. What the? Whose idea was this? I want to think that was great foreshadowing there by Lance, but I guess it was just ironic. <laughs> yeah. For those who don't know, Terry Taylor was actually working the Mid-South Territory at this point. How he randomly popped up here for this show, for this title match, won the title, it's beyond me. But Terry already sitting here sporting a nice suit, talking, working the Mid-South Territory, being the TV champion there recently for five months. It was actually more like three, Terry, before he loses it to Adrian Street. I don't know if you remember this, Gene, the Kiss of Doom. Street kisses Taylor. He doesn't know what to do. He's so confused. Gets rolled up, and Adrian Street, the new TV champion. Yes, a finish <laughs> that could never fly in today's day and age, but it, it certainly got over back then. Uh, so by the time this airs, though, January 7th, Terry Taylor will have regained the TV belt in the Mid-South five days prior on January 2nd from the nature boy Buddy Landell. So Terry Taylor, now a dual champion in two separate promotions, unfortunately, He's already gone from the town of Memphis by the time this airs. As Lance covering Terry Taylor's history here, though, 
coming straight into the CWA his first time around, winning the Southern title back in the day. Uh, Taylor, though, probably the best promo I've heard him cut. Very matter of fact here, because I've been doing a lot of 1986 Terry Taylor, and eh, no thanks. Yeah, that was the biggest thing that stood out to me about that, other than just kind of the humor of, of what Lance said and how it all came to pass. But it was just, I thought, man, uh, I don't know how many takes they did of this promo, but it, yeah, like you said, it was one of the better Terry Taylor promos I've heard because there's some stinkers out there yeah, he's, more he's than not. not. Not a good promo whatsoever, at least not, not at this stage and certainly not as a baby face, maybe more of the natural heel Terry Taylor. I didn't really notice those promos being bad. But uh, the babyface ones stick out like a sore thumb in any era. Yeah. Uh, we go on, though. One more match up here in the Coliseum. Southern champion Jerry Lawler over Adrian Street on a disqualification. Adrian, European-style uppercuts late in the matchup. Big right hands, but that's all Lawler can stands, Gene, because he can't stands no more. And the king drops the strap. And for those not familiar, oh, Lawler dropping the strap would be likened to Hulk Hogan hulking up there in the city of Memphis, in the, in the Memphis Territory. Oh, yeah. When fans knew when the strap come down, it, it's on now. And, you know, whatever's happened to him, it don't matter if he's if previous to this, if he's been bled dry and ran over by a truck, when the strap comes down, it's on and shit's about to get real. Yeah. And uh, you thought the crowd exploded, erupted for Hogan's comeback. Lawler, oh, my God, there, especially in the Mid-South Coliseum, when that strap dropped, business was picking up, to quote J.R., and Lawler, he comes right at the exotic one from that one, firing away with those awesome right hands, maybe the best punch ever in the business by my account anyway. Lawler connecting with his patented middle rope fist drop, going to get the one, two, but hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert returns, hitting the ring, attacking the king, causing the immediate disqualification for outside interference. We get about seven minutes shown of a reportedly 12-minute and 44-second match. Now, remember I said at the end of the Taylor match, Gene, Lawler's interference would come back into play here, maybe come back to haunt him, as Gilbert clearly out here to exact some revenge after losing the international title. So now I will, uh, as I like to do, any credibility I take away from wrestling, I like to find a way to give it back. So to go against what I said earlier about, well, why wouldn't everybody just watch the baby faces watch each other's match and then they come out and uh, stick their nose in and, and try to right the wrong. Well, maybe people saw what happened to Lawler when he come out and tattletailed on uh, Eddie Gilbert. He ended up getting, you know, his match interfered with, and he got DDT'd and got beat up. So maybe after that, people were like, nah, I'm going to stay out of this. You figure it out yourself. So there we go. Logic has been reapplied. So the King gets a little come up and see from hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert, like you said, he hits the ring. DDT's Lawler, and it looks like Gilbert was using the DDT for somewhat of a finisher at this point. He wasn't doing the hot shot yet. Uh, but then Adrian Street going to join in for a two-on-one beatdown. Eddie Gilbert removing his boot, repeatedly driving it down into the King's head as the fans chant for Valiant, Valiant. But I wrote, Gene, we know that's not happening because we're not going to take away from the King's heat. Absolutely not. And Valiant, I'm sure, is uh, out back smoking a joint and, you know, <laughs> trying to get his head to stop bleeding. He's not worried about the King right now. It was, now, if this was, the, you know, the other way around, I'm sure Lawler would have came out and made the save. But instead, with Lawler getting the beatdown, nobody's coming to the King's rescue because he's got to make his own save next week at the Coliseum. <laughs> That's right. There we go. And speaking of next week, just a few days later, normal night, Monday night, December 31st, quick results here. 9,000 fans here to see Tojo Yamamoto over Jerry Bryant on a countout. Mark and Brad Batten over Playboy Frazier in a handicap match. Curious to see how that one ended. The interns defeat the Dirty White Boys in a rematch. 
Also, Ken Wayne and Danny Davis, we'll talk about this one here, defeating the team of Tim Ashley and Steve Constance in a Loser Leaves Town match. That means Constance and Ashley will have to leave town, or will they, Gene? Oh, boy. It's the 80s, and, uh, you know, <laughs> baby faces never really left town in the 80s. Uh, no, they just <laughs> we'll came back under masks. We'll be talking about that soon. Yeah, we, yeah, will, right. we, will, we will see when we get to TV. Also on the card, Adrian Street over Johnny Wilhoyt, who was, you know, to use that term, up-and-comer. Johnny Wilhoyt had a, a decent look about him. He was pretty solid. Just I think some of these guys, like a Constance and Ashley, a Wilhoyt, I think they just came to the business a little too late. Like, the territories were trying up. There was nowhere to go. And, and Dave Peterson, even, like I, I've seen in the UWF in 86, I've been doing with Roman. There's just really nowhere. I, and I'm not saying that, yeah, I know, Peterson winds up in the AWA, you know, and he goes back to Central States and whatever, but just really nowhere to hone his craft and, and, and take off. And I think that's what, you know, what befalls guys like Will Hoyt. Yeah, I mean, those guys all kind of look like they're cut from the same cloth, really, you know, and uh, they all kind of remind me of the uh, Jimmy Powers, Paul Roma types, but, right. you know, they're like maybe said, not they're as good steroids, to... but getting there. Yeah, you know, as good as you could get down in Tennessee. Yeah, Tennessee steroids, not New York City. <laughs> so. Uh, we go on, Folks though. I got the good stuff, brother. That's right, brother. Oh, it was Zahorian. Zahorian. Yeah, Zahorian. There you go. So, uh, Iron Mike Sharp uh, defeating Jimmy Valiant with Jerry Lawler in his corner in a Coward Waves the Flag match. Now, here's what's interesting. I don't think Jimmy Hart had returned to the territory yet at this point. So, I'm not sure who was in the corner of Mike Sharp for this one. But the notes, the results state, at least everyone I've, I've found online and, and otherwise, that Sharp wins this match over Valiant. But I can't see Lawler waving a flag, so you have to wonder how this one finished. I would love to know, because, yeah, when I when I saw that result, I was like, wait a minute, Lawler's involved? That should have been where Jimmy Jimmy Vant gets the win and comes out the hero. So, yeah, I, I wonder if Eddie Gilbert was involved to put heat on this next match. Oh, you know, that's a, that's a good call. Speaking of the next match, we go to the main event of the night. We saw the feud begin just a few days earlier at the last Coliseum show, and here it is already, just three days later, Jerry the King Lawler going to a no contest with Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, the match reportedly going nearly 27 minutes. So not really sure the finish there, but a good way to start a feud. No contest. Absolutely. And 9,000 people were there to see it. I think a lot of people, you know, I want folks to kind of pay attention to that when you're, you know, telling some of these uh, attendances, you know, is, you know, this is, yeah, they were, they were in Memphis every week. And in that case, they were there three days apart. Right. And there you got 9,000 people packing in there, you know, and, you know, Memphis is a big town, but it's, you know, it's not New York. It's not Boston. It's not some of the places WWF ran, but they consistently, you know, drew big crowds to see the King and Jimmy Valiant and Eddie Gilbert and all these guys. And not, not just three days apart, but this last card here, Gilbert and Lawler, New Year's Eve. And they draw 9,000 yeah. fans out to see the, the, that matchup. Make no mistake about it. Everybody was out to see that. Or, well, either that or, you know, what else? Mike Sharp and Jimmy Valiant. I'm sure that drew the house. So uh, we'll continue <laughs> on here. Also, the following day, Tuesday, January 1st, the new year, 1985. We have made it, Gene. We're finally in the year of 1985 here at Louisville Gardens. Some quick results. Ken Wayne over Lanny Poffo. Danny Davis defeating Tojo Yamamoto. Candy Devine over Diane Von Hoffman. It's Ken Wayne and Danny Davis then teaming up over the duo of Constance and Ashley. And let's explain that really quickly. Wait a minute. Everybody's asking, why are they still wrestling if they've lost a loser leaves town match? Well, that's because it hasn't happened in every city yet. That's right. It, it hasn't happened until it happens in your town because we didn't have internet. 
You know, we didn't have, they didn't have any way to find out. And that, like I said, everything was kind of the way that TV was uh, always a week behind. So if they lost the loser leave town this week in Memphis, they're losing it next week in Louisville. Spoiler alert, folks. Right. And it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't always happen this way. But if, say, Lawler and Gilbert have a specific gimmick match this week at the Coliseum, you'll probably see it happen the following week at most of the other towns. So that's why yep. you're going to be, well, that doesn't make it. Well, you guys just wait and see. So right now it is Wayne and Davis over Constance and Ashley. The interns, uh, for those who don't know, Don Bass and Roger Smith did a zillion tag team gimmicks under the hood there. A tremendous tag team together. Troy Graham, a great talker, even though he's stuck in a wheelchair at this point. But the interns over the Batten twins, Brad and Mark. I'm not sure why he became Bart later on. I guess because it flowed better? Not really sure. Also, Hot Stuff yeah. Eddie Gilbert defeating Johnny Wilhoit. Jimmy Valiant over Mike Sharp on a DQ. And Jerry Lawler once again defeating the exotic Adrian Street on a DQ. A couple of DQ matches at the end there. Yeah, that's kind of, I don't know. I, I, there's there's way more DQs happening in Memphis than I would care for. But again, it's a right. weekly it's a weekly territory. So, But yeah, I always tell my friends, if you, if you find yourself in a... Uh, trivia situation involving Memphis wrestling and they're asking you about mass people, you can never go wrong guessing Don Bass and Roger Smith. You're probably <laughs> yeah. going to get it. Yeah, nine, nine times out of ten for sure. <laughs> maybe maybe not rough and ready, but pretty much any other tag team that came through there in the <laughs> 1980s anyway. So we go on Evansville, Indiana on January the 2nd. I'm not sure where they were Thursday, but Friday they take off to Blytheville, Arkansas. And I don't have results, but Lawler, Valiant, Adrian Street all in the car, the interns and the Dirty White Boys. So I don't have a lot of results for the first week of January as far as house shows go. I do apologize, guys. I'm working on it. Uh, but right now, Gene, oh, here we go. January 5th, Saturday morning, 11 a.m., WMC TV5 Studio, live, guys, not taped, not pre-recorded, live. Every morning, every Saturday morning, Memphis, Tennessee, CWA Television, and it all kicks off this week. Lance Russell... And Dave Brown. And you guys might be saying, yeah, but that's how it always starts off. Well, no, it doesn't. Remember, me and Gene at the top of the show were just talking about Gordon Soley had been here most of the last two months alongside Lance Russell. As Steve Crawford pointed out, Gordon would barely let Lance get his lines in. And Dave Brown was relegated to doing ring announcing, which they never even really had before. They just did it from the desk. Uh, but I wanted to go back now, and I talked about this earlier as well. And you guys can go watch the actual TV program on my YouTube. You can see it for yourself. But you can actually hear the smile over Lance's voice as he kind of dismisses Gordon Soley and welcomes back his good friend, Davey Brown. Hello again, everybody. Lance Russell right along the ringside. We're all ready to go with another big day of championship wrestling. And uh, we really enjoyed working with our old friend Gordon Soley here. But I can't tell you how nice it is to have right back here beside me, Dave Brown. Davey. I tell you what, we got quite a show uh, going today. We've got hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert coming in here, wrestling as a single in our opening match. Boy, we really enjoyed working with our good friend Gordon Sully, but great to have Dave good back riddance. by his side. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what that that was. Good riddance, indeed. <laughs> I used to get told in retail jobs to answer the phone with a smile on my face because you can hear it. And I always thought that was bullshit, but listening to that right now, you can hear it. And if you don't believe us, folks, like he said, watch the YouTube channel. Yeah, it's not your typical Lance Russell smile, which by no means was he ever faking a smile. But this was just a different, uh, you know, a whole different level. Russell was just ecstatic to have Dave Brown next to him again. And it kind of felt like an old kid's show dismissing, oh, our old friend Gordon Sully's no longer here, kids. But Dave Brown's here. So you know, welcome back, Davey. 
And you got to love Dave Brown, too, just right back to business. He just goes right into the program like nothing ever happened. Yeah, he wasn't salty like, oh, Gordon's gone. I get to come back, you know. I mean, I know he wouldn't say that, but I mean, he didn't even have that, you know, air about him. Like, he was happy to be back, and Lord knows Lance was happy to have him, and we're off and running right along ringside, as he says. I'm, I'm happy to have him, too, as we kick things off here. It's the former international champion hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert, taking on Jim Jameson, jobber extraordinaire here in the Memphis Territory. As Eddie jumps Jameson to start, flings him out to the floor, drives him into the steel chair on the outside. Looked like he was going to hit him with it, and then just kind of sat it up and drove his face down in it instead. A little more effective, I thought, as Lancer compares Eddie's aggressive style to that of Bobby Eaton. I thought that was kind of cool, to just randomly drop name drop Bobby Eaton there. It's hot stuff going to bring Jameson back inside, toy with him a little before using that DDT to score the win in 2 minutes and 58 seconds. Definitive win here for Gilbert at the top of the program. Good placement on the show for what's to come. Also, I thought, good to get some Eddie Gilbert heat back here. Right at the start of the show, he just lost the title, but he's already right back in, in the, the thick of things. They were always really good about that in Memphis. If somebody somebody took a big loss or, you know, really got their heat killed off on a Monday night, they would usually get them right back going on Saturday morning TV. And this is a great example, as you pointed out, just to come right out of the gate with uh, Eddie hot and heavy here. And, you know, the DDT was still kind of a, a new move, you know, it hadn't really been established. You know, Jake was using it, obviously, but it wasn't real well established. So, you know, they didn't really know what to call it. You'll notice here, you know, as Eddie Gilbert uses the DDT, they don't call it the DDT. They tried different versions of things to refer to it as. And uh, I did like how Lance, at, at one point, Lance refers to it as similar to a pile driver. In some ways, it is only the DDT is legal. So it's kind of like a loophole, a way around getting away with using the pile driver here because the pile driver illegal in the Memphis territory. Exactly, which makes, you know, Eddie Gilbert look like a genius because of the pile driver being illegal, you know, and in Memphis, that was the, the be all end all, you know, the pile driver's a huge thing. So to kind of give Eddie Gilbert credit for finding a loophole around to do a version of the pile driver, you know, puts even more heat on him. So kudos Lance for that. Not hardly the end of Eddie Gilbert here on this program, guys. Uh, stay tuned <laughs> for just a second. Up next, joined in progress, just a quick clip of Terry Taylor defeating Gilbert for that international title. After Jerry Lawler stuck his nose in, comes ringside, alerts the referee that Eddie had cheated to originally win the matchup, the bout restarted, and as we talked about, Taylor with a quick cradle gets the win and the belt, uh, won't be back for seven months, and Jerry Lawler makes himself an enemy out of hot stuff, and that all sets this one up, Gene. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, guys, what I'm talking about, Lance Russell introducing Eddie Gilbert for a special interview, and I say special because hot stuff actually requested this interview time, and apparently for good reason. Eddie brings out a poster board with him, revealing the words, This is your life, because today on the program, this is your life, Jerry Lawler. I can't wait for this. This is so unique for the time. Folks, if you're going back watching this and, you know, you watched wrestling, you know, you're you're a younger wrestling fan and, and things like this became more commonplace, you know, down the line, but uh, this was pretty unique for the time, you know, this was kind of groundbreaking in a lot of ways. And it, it really was one of the first times on Memphis TV where Eddie Gilbert really got to kind of show his personality and not have to, you know, talk over Jimmy Hart or whoever he had out there with him. And uh, this really stood out to me as kind of a breakout moment for Eddie Gilbert as a heel. No, this is very genius for anyone, buddy, much less Eddie, who had never really had this main event push anywhere before. Just remember, it was just a couple of years ago. He was doing jobs in the WWF alongside Kurt Hennig. And now here he is getting to be a mouthpiece and doing an excellent job here. 
and I, I feel like I say this a lot on the regional wrestling show specifically, especially on the 81 stuff with, with Jamie Ward in Georgia, but there was no prototype for things like this back then. You're, you're doing this for the first exactly. time. So to hit something out of the park, which we'll continue to talk about here in a second, just amazing kudos to Eddie Gilbert. Uh, but if this is your life. Jerry Lawler is Lance's response. Aw, come on, Eddie. <laughs> and <laughs> I said you could have an interview, not the whole show. God, I love Lance Russell. And you can't have a This Is Your Life segment without the man you're honoring. So Eddie invites the king out to the studio. And finally, after a little prompting, out comes the man himself, Jerry Lawler, as Gilbert readies to look back at the king's career, essentially implying Lawler is washed up. Old news. As we go back to the king's career now, Eddie plays voice number one for Lawler to identify a man from his past. Gotta love the old school Memphis budget I wrote, Gene, here. Eddie placing the <laughs> microphone up against a boombox sitting on the ground. Only in Memphis do you get away with this. Not even on a table. Not even on the announce table. The boombox is on the ground as Eddie Gilbert has to kneel and put the microphone in front of it so that we can hear the audio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the first things that stood out to me is like, yeah, this is definitely a, a first of its kind before we really kind of figured out how to do this kind of right. thing. So just, yeah, just bring the boombox out, set it on the ground, throw the mic up in front of it, and off you know, we go. I, I, for as silly as it looks, it's still groundbreaking at the time, right? Because Memphis seemed to me they were the first one to use the telephone calls and the and these voices on you know yep. on, on audio cassettes and things like that. So it really enhanced the product overall, even though sometimes it looked a little silly because you could use that to you know get things over that other people didn't really do and and you know longtime fans they you know they they recognize jim white they know that's you know jerry lawler's first tag team partner lawler had talked about it a lot over the years and mentioned him so you know they always attribute this to jerry jarrett you know jerry jarrett always said you know if you if you put enough reality into an angle where people know it's real when you ease into the work they believe it because they believe the things you told them in the front end so this is off to a good start you know this is this is your life jerry lawler and we're hearing from your very first tag team partner so, so they, they press play and the audio begins with a burp so comedy right out of the gate here there's a burp a lot of slurring and stuttering of words from a i, I guess a drunken jim white as you said lawler's first partner after he broke in White says the king cast him aside to go to the top, leaving White on the side of the road, so to speak. A Jim White not here this week, and I have no idea if that was even really him. I don't know Jim White's voice, so I don't I don't know. I assume it probably wasn't, but you know, then again, who knows? True. It he gets better, guys. That day, probably. It, it, it gets a lot better, guys, trust me. So next we get an old school video clip of Lawler's first manager, Sam Bass. Unfortunately, guys, by this point Sam Bass had passed away after an auto accident. Back in 1976, but Eddie Gilbert, he blames the king. That's right, Lawler. Sam Bass. A man that molded your career, that started you off on the right road to be the king of wrestling. But what happened to Sam Bass? Oh, well, like everything else, you wanted to be the king. You wanted to be the head honcho. So Sam Bass was busy carrying your bags for you into the arenas and carrying them on the road with him that you, being the man that you were, Wanted to fly to all the matches. And on that fateful night, that summer night in 1976, the night that you decided to fly to the match, poor old Sam Bass had to drive. But he never made it home that night, Lawler. That's not yes, he, made, he met his doom. Eddie, and he's not here today. Days. He's not here today because Sam Bass is in a grave. Because you, Lawler, you put him there. Are you done now? 
Wow. Eddie Gilbert would deliver some questionable lines at times, and there's still another one coming, Gene. But uh, <laughs> Jerry Lawler, the superstar, had to fly to his matches, but Sam Bass had to drive. And unfortunately, he never made it home that night. Now, guys, that's not even what really happened. Uh, honestly, Lawler was simply in another car riding shortly behind the accident. It's it's a pretty gruesome uh, accident by all accounts. If you guys want, go and Google it. Check it out. Maybe we'll cover it you know, in a later episode when we talk further back in time and here in the Memphis territory. But uh, Jerry Lawler, apparently he put bass in the grave, if you believe Eddie Gilbert. What a piece of garbage, man. I can't believe, oh, Eddie, come on now, Eddie. But, guys, we're not done. Jim White, Sam Bass, two of the originals, the OGs of uh, Jerry Lawler's career, but there's still more. The next voice, blaming Jerry Lawler for costing him the Southern title, using that Tennessee chain to begin his very first reign. And it's Eddie's own father, Tommy Gilbert, is the voice, guys. This one actually does go way back to when the Southern heavyweight title gene was called the Southern Junior Heavyweight title all the way back in 1974. Jerry Lawler's first Southern title reign was indeed stealing a win over Tommy Gilbert. So again, you know, we, we start out with something somewhat, you know, real that people know is real. Then we get into, you know, a little bit of ridiculousness with the, you killed Sam Bass, <laughs> Sam Bass accusation. <laughs> yeah. But then we bring it back into what, you know, people who've been around a while, hey, yeah, the Lawler did beat his dad, Tommy Gilbert, you know, and Tommy Gilbert came out there, you know, looking like an older Burt Reynolds. and uh, <laughs> yeah. Burt Reynolds without the toupee. I, I, you know, I'm not sure that wasn't, <laughs> yeah. Burt, you know. So. <laughs> that's a, that's a good uh, comparison. That's a good comparison. We move on, though, as they, they, they move this pretty fast. I'm impressed that they, they don't really screw around in between these. They, they keep it flowing to where it's not really, you know, appalling and just too long. As the next yeah. voice up. Go ahead, I was man. just going to say that that is something that I did make note of because, man, some of these types things on down the road over the years, especially bless his heart when Jimmy Hart would do these kind of things, right. would go on and on and drag and like, yeah, Eddie did a good job of keeping it moving or somebody did a good job of, of keeping him moving. Cause it, it did, it moved, moved right along and, and flowed well. Yeah. It was boom, boom, boom. It doesn't help that, you know, there's not a big long aisle either. You're just walking through a curtain and boom, you're already out there <laughs> in the studio. But the next voice says he was used by the King and Lawler told lies. This man was no plow boy with a mule from Philadelphia, Mississippi. Hell, he'd never even been to Philadelphia, <laughs> Mississippi. He's from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So says Jamie Ward. It is indeed Playboy Frazier. So Playboy <laughs> Frazier out here, he calls Lawler a liar. He made it. I guess he's kind of saying, you gave me that gimmick, Lawler. I ain't no plow boy. I'm a playboy. I mean, how fun is that? I ain't never been to Philadelphia, Mississippi. I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's right. Well, you know, <laughs> the funny thing here, you're talking about the up and down roller coaster here. We look a little realism. And then we go, boom, we go back to this is just blatant lies by, by Plowboy yeah, Frazier. Yeah. So we we know, you know, no matter how truthful the Tommy Gilbert story was, this Playboy Frazier thing, not so much. Yeah, definitely. When from the time he walked out on the set the first time, there was no question that Plowboy Frazier was definitely from Philadelphia, Mississippi. And that was uh, a genuine gimmick, if there ever was one. So from the ridiculous to the even more ridiculous, as the next trip down memory lane goes back just a couple of years, we get some highlights of the feud between Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman. And we see various encounters from the pile driver incident to the Kings fireballing Andy right here in WMC Studios. 
And obviously, Andy not here any longer. He passed away about eight months before this, back in May of 1984, from lung cancer. But that doesn't stop Eddie Gilbert from laying it in. The next man, Lawler, he wasn't able to be here either. But we do have some footage of him, I think, that you should listen to and watch on the monitor. Apologize for all the wrestling I've ever done, all the abuse I've ever given to people that didn't understand what I was doing. Oh, boy, sometimes, sometimes I really can't believe you. There, there, there was a man, a poor little sickly comedian, Lawler, not even a wrestler, that you took him night after night, dropped him on his head so you could get national attention, so you could get national exposure. Yeah, Lawler, you. And where's Andy Kaufman today? He's in a grave also because probably those pile drivers you gave him caused that cancer that he died of, Lawler. That's true. No, Lance. No, Lance. <laughs> I thought the Sam Bass line was enough. And I remember Eddie saying this, but I didn't know they were both in the same segment. So when I heard him say this, I'm like, oh, my God, he did this all in one episode. Probably the pile drivers gave Andy Kaufman that cancer, that lung cancer, by the way, Gene. Holy the shit. Fact, Those the are some fact deadly he said that with a straight face is just tremendous. I mean. Oh, Eddie, come on now. Oh, it's getting ridiculous. <laughs> and he's not even done yet, by the way, guys. But, oh, my, I don't, you can't top that. I don't care what, what, what comes here next. I mean, but. My God, the pile drivers probably gave Andy Kaufman cancer. Killed him. Jerry Lawler, oh my God. The things you could get away with back in the day. <laughs> Good stuff. Can't imagine the phone calls that would have been coming in in 2023, 24, uh, with a comment like that. But if that wasn't enough, guys, one voice left here in this This Is Your Life segment. And here it is, no mistaking that high-pitched cackle. And if I can, please, if you'll listen very closely to this man. <laughs> oh man, Lawler, I wouldn't miss this for anything in the world. I'm the man who got you to the top of your career, baby. You were down and out, baby, scumming around this town, baby. Hadn't even won a match in six months. And what did you do? You call the greatest man in the world today. That's right, Jimmy Hart, baby. And what did I do for you? I won you the Southern Heavyweight Championship belt. Then you won the CWA Championship belt. And baby, you were in line. We had a shoe in for the NWA title. But no, Jerry Lawler wanted to do everything by himself. He wanted to be in music. What did Jimmy Hart do for him? I took the worst voice in the history of music, Jerry Lawler's voice, and, and make him into where he sounded halfway decent, baby. So you had your gold records. You had everything, baby, just like Jimmy Hart had. And what did you do to me, baby? You tried to drop me like a bad habit, brother. Well, baby, it's like Eddie Gilbert said, man, there's a lot of people waiting for you to fall, King, baby. Like I said, there's a lot of people. That's right, Jerry Lawler. The man that started you out. The greatest manager in the world today, Jimmy Hart. Right, Jimmy? You better believe it, baby. You're finished, man. There's a lot of people waiting for you to fall, King. I want you to realize that. A lot of people, just like the kid said here, baby. Just like he said. Wow. So Jimmy Hart back in the territory. He's been missing in action for several weeks here down in the uh, Georgia territory, but that's all over with. Jimmy back in Memphis. Gordon Sully back down in Georgia. Jimmy was the one who guided Lawler back to the top. He was a lost soul when Jimmy Hart came around a few years ago. He even got him a, a record deal, it would seem. Baby, that's baby. right. Baby, baby. He, he got him the Southern title. and would have got him the NWA title had he stuck with Hart. Uh, Jimmy even saying he got the King that record deal. I, I don't know what kind of money Lawler made off of that. I don't know if he sold any uh, copies outside of the Memphis territory. But uh, uh, Lawler dropped Hart because he wanted to do everything all by himself. A lot of people waiting to see the King fail. That may be true. I don't know if you really noticed, Gene, but through these last couple of names uh, that we're talking, 
uh, the Andy Kaufman segment, now Jimmy Hart. Jerry Lawler has this awesome, disgusted-looking face. I-, I took a couple screen caps, actually posted them online. He just looks legitimately pissed. I know he knows it's coming, but it's, uh, Lawler does an excellent job of selling this. Like He is just disgusted at this point as we close out the This Is Your Life Jerry Lawler segment. That's one of the things Jerry Lawler is so great at. This, the, just the, you know, he's awesome on the mic and talking, you know, people in the building. But those facials, you know, it, be it in the ring or just in promos like that, just as he's standing there, as someone else is talking, another version of selling. And man, he was really selling what uh, what Jimmy Hart and Eddie Gilbert were doing here. And you knew uh, he was fixing to have plenty to say about it the first chance he got. Hey, you know, I'll say this now and get it out of the way before we continue on with the rest of the year here, because. Through a war of attrition, so to speak, a lot of my favorites have passed away, Bockwinkle, Harley Race, and with the passing of, say, three or four other guys, Jerry Lawler now, my top favorite of all time, that, that's still alive today. So when I give him flack here, or I have a little fun with him at times based on, you know, him booking himself into situations and things, that's all it is. I'm having some fun here. I love the King. Still alive today, easily my, my favorite worker of all time is Jerry the King Lawler. I want to be clear on that. As we continue on, because I'm sure we're going to run into some things where I say some things and I'm, I'm saying tongue, tongue in cheek, but I think people are going to take it the wrong way. Certain people anyway. I know I've gotten a little uh, flack in the past for some of my comments I make about nothing wrong with baby. So I'm just <laughs> being clear. You know, I, I'd like to think that the Lawler even has a little bit of a sense of humor about that kind of thing. Or at the very least, he understands how some of it comes off and and he's criticized other people for doing the same, such as dusty Rhodes, as a matter of fact. But, um, but yeah, he's one of my, I'll go and throw that in there too. He's one of my all time favorites, top five for sure. Uh, and I got the chance to work with Lawler a few different times and it was, you know, it was the highlight of anything I ever got to do in wrestling. And, uh, he's the King for a reason, man. He's legit. Uh, anybody who can put eight, 9,000 people in a Coliseum in a city the size of Memphis, that many Monday nights for that many years, nobody can knock him. But say what you want about him, you know, how he booked himself or, or, or whatever, whatever, you know, people can say about him. You cannot argue with the results. I don't know of very many other people who, you know, like him was like built like somebody's dad compared to Hulk Hogan sure. that <laughs> had the talent to, pack out a building and sell out and, and draw the money that he did for years and years. And up until just recently, you know, when he had the stroke, you know, he was still doing shows and drawing crowds and people were coming to see him. So can't argue with success, man. Yeah, and I love the fact that Cleveland is his uh, second hometown, uh, essentially, you know, outside of Memphis, for those who've ever paid attention, his favorite, you know, teams, the Browns, the, the Indians, yeah, I still call them the Indians guys. He finds ways to come up here, finds reasons to come up here and visit. And so, I've ran into him from time to time, and uh, he even did a two-man show with Jim Ross once, and I looked it up online because it kind of came up the last minute, and they weren't doing two-man shows anywhere. I guess it had just to be Lawler found, <laughs> found a reason to come to Cleveland. So so they did a two-man show up here one time, so it was good times. Always good to have the king up here, so he always talks well of the uh, Cleveland area. So, uh, yeah, it's just another reason why I'm just a giant fan of Jerry the King Lawler. But um, we go on here. Eddie Gilbert and the entire Heel clan leave the studio. And the king finally gets to speak a word. God bless him. He didn't talk through that entire thing. He just sat there, let Eddie Gilbert say all of that nonsense. And and finally, finally, he knows he's got his time coming here. Jerry Lawler about to respond here. That's right, Lawler. I want you to think now. I want you to look at all these guests I had today. I hope you remember all that footage you saw, all the people from Jim White, Sam Bass, Tommy Gilbert, Playboy Frazier, Andy Kaufman, and Jimmy Hart. 
Now, Lawler, what this all boils down to is all these men that you've seen, and probably a lot of more, have watched you sit at the top now. It's probably very lonely up there, isn't it? But now they're wanting to watch you as you fall, brother. And see, that's where I come in because I'm in the position now to where I'm going to be the man to put you at the bottom. Where's my book? Lawler, here's your book, and this is your life, and I hope you've been very, very proud of it. I hope you're through with it. That's all I can say, finally, after taking up that and carrying on and telling your side of it, your version of it in there. Obviously, everything he did, Jerry, uh, is slanted by Eddie Gilbert in the way he wanted it to appear and come across that way. And I'm sorry it came out that way, but I didn't expect any more out of it. No, uh, you know, I don't exactly know what I should say or what to say at a time like this. You know, he has all this footage of Sam and uh, Andy Kaufman and things like that. Eddie Gilbert, as I said, uh, he, and I, I almost hate to say this, Lance, but he almost reminds me of myself when I was you know, like him, a young, cocky punk trying to come up who thought that I could take on anything and everybody. Uh, and I remember at the time, here was Jackie Fargo on the top of the heap at that time, and uh, I couldn't wait till I got my hands on Jackie Fargo. And I think Eddie Gilbert's probably looking at the same situation now with me. Yep. Well, all I can tell Eddie Gilbert is, if he thinks that he's going to come in here and knock me off the top of the heap, brother, you've got your hands full, and I'm ready anytime you want. Yeah, the fact that he managed to let him say the line about the pilot drivers giving Kaufman cancer and he didn't speak. <laughs> or laugh, for that matter. Is, I mean, or I even laugh, yeah, uh, is is amazing. But, uh, yeah, man, it's it. I love that he made the reference to uh, Gilbert reminding him of himself and right. the correlation to him and, and Jackie Fargo because it's very similar, very similar. Well, yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah, Lawler, in that promo he cuts, he says, you know, I hate to say it, Lance, but Eddie Gilbert kind of reminds me of a young Jerry Lawler, you know, the cocky young punk. He refers to himself, referencing that, that feud that he had with Jackie Fargo back in the 70s. Jackie Fargo was the one that was at the top of the mountain back then, and now Eddie Gilbert looks at Lawler the same way that Jerry looked at Jackie. Well, hot stuff, you've got your hands full if you're going to try to knock the king off the top of the hill. And that entire segment, guys, ready for this? This is your life. 14 minutes, and that's that's kind of long. No commercial breaks either. A 14 minutes straight through, but, I mean, they kept it flowing. It didn't feel like 14 minutes. No, not at all. Like I say, other other people in other times, that would have been a 20 to 30-minute segment, and it was it was pretty concise. It was exactly what it needed to be, in my opinion. All right, Gene, so we kick off the show, three-minute squash match with Eddie Gilbert. Then we get that 14-minute This Is Your Life segment. So back from break, you got to be ready for action. No. For those who don't know, Dave Brown merely moonlights as a co-host of the wrestling program, but was indeed for many years the meteorologist, the weatherman for Channel 5 there in Memphis. And Lance uses this time on TV to put Dave Brown over, says he was the only weatherman in the city who kept warning people of the potential blizzard that was coming last week. Everyone else knows sold it here uh, on the news channels. Uh, maybe an inch they said was coming, but Dave Brown held steady. Two to four inches, maybe more. And Dave Brown blushing, smiling huge, but again, refusing to put himself over. But Lance loved doing this here. You could tell he, the relationship and friendship he had with Dave Brown. <laughs> yeah, it used to be really cool when I was a kid to be able to turn on the Memphis news at night. And there's the co-host of the wrestling show giving out the weather 
Uh, <laughs> it, it was pretty cool. And another cool thing, just to throw this in here real quick, is uh, on Channel 5, uh, on Monday nights, Jack Eaton, the sports guy, would give oh, yeah. the results for the Mid-South Coliseum card. So I loved being able to, as a kid, uh, being able to find out the same night, you know, what happened down there at the Coliseum. And especially like, you know, we'll jump ahead here to 88 when Lawler won the title. I was jumping up and down in my living room. Oh, I can only imagine getting that. Yeah, getting that. It's like a news alert. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would have been awesome. So they do talk a little weather here on the program. What's expected leading into the big Coliseum show in two days' time. Roads should be clear by then, guys, so make sure you get your tickets. Head on out to see the King and everybody else as well. Uh, They run down the Mid-South Coliseum card. Special reduced prices here, 4 5 and $6. And the main event, ready for this, Jerry the King Lawler taking on Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert in a barbed wire match. All right, now that they've announced that, time for more wrestling, Gene. No? Wait. Lance (laughs) Russell, we just heard this. I could swear we just heard a Jerry Lawler promo, but Lance Russell, now that the match, the main event has been announced for the Coliseum, Jerry Lawler returns to talk the barbed wire matchup. Okay, we're going to be back to the ring here, and we'll see the king in action. Want to uh, talk to him just a second before. You've got a barbed wire match coming up with Eddie. Yeah, yeah well, Lance, I want to talk about that. But, you know, I, I go back there in the back and the, uh, sit down and just to sit back there and think about this punk Eddie Gilbert coming out here. First of all, you know, it's bad enough him talking about Jim White, but then to talk about Sam Bass. Let me tell you something, Eddie Gilbert. Sam Bass was more man in his little finger than you'll ever be in your whole stinking life. And you talk about the wimp Jimmy Hart. Sam Bass forgot more about wrestling than Jimmy Hart will ever know. And it makes me sick to my stomach that a punk like you shouldn't even be allowed to let his name come across your stinking lips. For you to come out here and say his name and try to mention him in the same breath to put yourself over, to promote yourself, that makes me sick, Eddie Gilbert. And as I said earlier, brother, you remind me of myself. When I went against Jackie Fargo, I was the brash young punk. Jackie Fargo was the established star in the area. And I thought, I can't wait to get my hands on Jackie Fargo because I'm going to show him what it's all about. Well, let me just tell you, brother, the first time I got my hands on Jackie Fargo, he turned me every way but loose. He gave me the beating of my life. And that's exactly what I'm going to do to you, you stinking rotten punk. Now, this is not just some Mickey Mouse match. As Lance said, this is a barbed wire match, so when you get down to that Coliseum before we go out to the ring, they're going to take a big roll of barbed wire, brother, and the people in the South know what barbed wire is all about. They know what it can do to you. And you little hick, you grew up on a farm up in Lexington, Tennessee. You've seen barbed wire. You know what it can do to you too, brother. And I've been in a barbed wire match before. They're going to put it around every rope all around the ring. So you're not going to be able to get out of that ring once I get you in there. I can assure you that. And what I'm going to do, punk, I'm going to take that pretty little face of yours and I'm going to shove it into that wire and I'm going to take you from one corner to the other. And when I get through with you, your daddy ain't going to recognize you, brother. So you just get down there Monday night and you be ready for the beating of your life, you stinking punk. Oh, I don't believe I want to be Eddie Gilbert inside that barbed wire. Mm, That's all coming up Monday night. We're going to take time out. We'll see the king in the ring, and I'd hate to be his opponent right at the moment. Back in just a second. So basically back-to-back Jerry Lawler promos here, but that was commonplace in Memphis. Multiple Lawler promos per week if he was in, in the studio. Uh, has a few more choice words for Gilbert in regards to that This Is Your Life segment as well. But the hard sell is for the barbed wire match coming Monday night. Nowhere to run. Got to shove Eddie's face into that barbed wire promising blood essentially right here. 
I used to love when like Lawler would get like real heated and passionate like that and do a real hard sell for like a blood feud like he just did with Eddie Gilbert in a barbed wire match and like he'd get all hot and bothered like that and he'd storm off. And then in the next segment, he'd come back out. Oh, yeah, Lance, I just wanted to mention uh, today at 2 p.m., Lawler's Army is going to be playing the local <laughs> fire department down at Jonesboro at 3 o'clock. We'll be signing autographs. <laughs> does, <laughs> he could just yeah. seamlessly weave in and out with no problem. <laughs> and you just believed it, too. You're, you, you don't question It wasn't like if somebody else couldn't get away with that. You'd be like, wait a minute. He's supposed to be mad. Yeah. But Lawler I mean, can just do that. It was like, like, let me tell you something, Andre the Giant. Yeah. In the Boston Garden, I'm going to slam you. But first, brother, we're going to be down there, me and, me and Bam Bam Bigelow, we're going to be playing softball, brother, with Oliver <laughs> Humpbank yeah. against the fire department. Like, yeah. no, it just doesn't work. But Lawler, yeah. you don't question it. No, yeah, you're right. And he, he would do that. He would come back out. He was like, play the wrestler and then play the businessman or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and you never really, you didn't bat an eye. It was Jerry Lawler. It was like, oh, okay, he's talking about something else now. Oh, yeah, we're coming out, you know, for the kids, you know, to donate a coat. It's like, oh, wow. He was just talking about killing Eddie Gilbert five minutes ago. But, uh, <laughs> and I feel like it was real, too. Like, Lawler cut that promo. They go to commercial. He comes back and cuts another promo. I don't know how many times that happened to where Lawler probably just insisted. Like, wait a minute. I, I wanted to get a line in. I got to get back yeah, out I thought, there. I thought of some good shit back there. Yeah. Let me back out there. Yeah. So we head into another commercial break. Always fun. A genuine diamond cocktail ring, Gene. Only $10. <laughs> genuine diamond. Ten dollars. Can't beat that. Send it to a P.O. box in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, they probably <laughs> want to sell you a bridge up there too. So we continue on back for break. And next, it's finally time for more action. No, apparently it's time for a music video <laughs> featuring who else but Jerry the King Lawler, set to the tune of Scandals Warrior, shooting at the walls of heartache. Bang bang. Bang bang. I love this video. I love this Jerry Lawler video. Well, it certainly beats the heck out of that John Denver, uh, <laughs> Terry Taylor song we heard earlier. Maybe that was maybe that was Lawler's idea. Like you know, it's like give me scandal and then give Terry Taylor some John Denver. Like, yeah, let's see, let's see him getting chicks with John Denver. Yeah, let's see him get over with that. So uh, we're now more than forty minutes into this ninety-minute program, and finally, finally, guys, it's time for match number two, and it's two. J- Jerry the King Lawler for the third <laughs> segment in a row. Taking on the Masked Inferno. And halfway through the program, away we go, Davey. And trying to guess a masked job guy in Memphis, well, you might as well forget about it. Could be anyone. Not Don Bass or Roger Smith here, but this guy at least gets it. He plays the heel part well. He seemed like a crafty veteran, if you will. Uh, But as you might expect, Lawler dominating the masked man tries to make a comeback, but the king quickly drops the strap in a squash match, mind you. Lands the middle rope fist drop, scores the win three minutes and 44 seconds. I know it sounds like we're dunking on Lawler here, but we're, we're not. No, we're I'm having fun. Like, I love it. You know, but it fun. is fun. And, and man, I'm glad you pointed that out because Memphis, the job guys run the gamut of, like you said, experienced guys that you can tell have been around a while to, you know, the guy from down the street that works yes. at the, you know, quick loops, you know, that's the third time he's ever set foot in the ring and he's wrestling Jerry Lawler. Like it's all over the place. Yeah. And I have no idea who this guy was, but uh, everything he did, he knew what he was doing. I'm not saying he had some classic match here. It was a squash, but everything he did was exactly what he should have been doing, playing a heel part, uh, other than, you know, he just got his ass handed to him, but that is what it is. So I was just very curious. I'm like, I wonder who that was, but I guess we'll probably never know. As we go on, it's time to see a brand new wrestler here in the Memphis territory. Lance Russell going to interview Joe Lightfoot. There's actually a couple versions of a Joe Lightfoot out there for whatever reason. I guess somebody wasn't clever enough to use a different name. 
just recycled it, a couple of Joe Lightfoots, but this one, French-Canadian Joe Ventura, who uh, spent much of the mid to late 70s working all over Canada, then he was off to the States by 1980, had small runs in Portland, Georgia, Central States, the dying days of the Florida Territory, and of course, this really weird pop-up here in Memphis stuck out like a sore thumb, a Native American character in Memphis, just for as cartoony and hokey and gimmicky as it is, that one just did not work for me, at least not in the 80s. No, it, it did. He did really feel out of place here. But as, you know, as you know, Native American wrestlers in the 80s go, Joe Lightfoot, this version of Joe Lightfoot, uh, wasn't bad. Well, that's debatable. We'll get to that in just a minute. I mean, oh, go I'm, on. Saying, I'm saying if you look at it from the perspective of, you know, Chief J. Strongbow looks like a, sure. a chubby Italian guy, where this guy, you know, he might could pass for a Native American at least. I mean this finishing move leaves a lot well, there, to be you know, There's a lot of I mean, uh, reservations yeah. up there in Canada. Perhaps he really true, truly had some native American blood in him. I'm not, you know, I'm not questioning yeah. that. It was just the gimmick just felt uh, for as cartoony and gimmicky as Memphis is. I, I don't know. The gimmick just didn't work for me here in, in the Memphis territory, but not much of a promo here either. He's here to prove himself. He says, take on everyone. As we assume this native American character is a baby face, you would think, but he challenges the likes of Jerry Lawler, and the macho man Randy Savage, who are both baby faces. So, weird booking decision, as he didn't come off menacing whatsoever as a heel, but apparently, he's a heel. Yeah, that was the other thing, too. There was nothing heelish about him other than the promo. If he hadn't called out Lawler and Savage, you would have never really known he was supposed to be a heel here by anything else. No, in fact, when I when he cut that promo the first time around, when I watched this, just skimmed through it before you know I really did my research and, and uh, started taking notes, I just thought he was a baby face. I thought maybe yeah. they turned him heel over the next week, like, not in any major segment, just they decided, oh, you're going to be a heel because, you know, whatever. But no, he's clearly a heel here. He takes on Ken Raper, who, man, he's been here forever. Uh, you'd think he'd have time to change his name after all those years in the Memphis Territory. But nope, Ken Raper all the way through, taking on Joe Lightfoot here. Joe never got the memo that he is a heel. First spot of the match, Gene, he does a cartwheel over a Raper drop down, then lands a drop kick on the other side. Not really much of a heel move there. No, not at all. That's what I mean is like, you know, other than dropping Lawler and Savage's name is the only heel thing. Nothing about the way he worked this match was heelish. You know, if you're if you're taking a guy whose last name is Raper, you're automatically kind of a baby <laughs> face. You know, there's just so much wrong here. And it does it in there because from there they go on. Joe does a headstand in the corner and as Raper rushes in, he lands an upside down double boot. And then to the middle rope for a diving Tommy Hawk chop. So says Lance. As the crowd completely dead for this one, sitting on their hands, literally not moving. You can literally hear a pin drop. I wrote here in my notes, as the match continues on, Lightfoot may have been in panic mode with the lack of response. So what does he do? He lays in some nasty, stiff chops, uh, just uh, hoping for a response here from the fans, I, I, I presume, I suppose. Uh, and he goes back to repeating earlier moves at this point. He's out of moves, uh, landing the middle rope diving chop a second time. No, I'm sorry. This time it was a double chop off the middle rope. Makes it twice as tough, I guess. That's and it right. picks That's up the win. <laughs> Two minutes and 27 seconds. Very similar to Lawler's fist drop. Uh, I'm sure there was some sort of a conversation after this one. <laughs> he, I, I bet you Lawler met him at the curtain. Like, <laughs> no, man. No, we're not doing that. Like, you better come up with something else by next But it week. was a chop. It was open hand. It was open. I, I don't care. Yeah, you, you, we're coming up with a new finish for you. <laughs> But uh, Joe Lightfoot in the territory as we continue on. Lance Russell with an interview here with Troy Graham, the dream machine. Graham rolls out in his scrubs as the manager of the Southern Tag Team Champion Masked Interns. 
Don Bass and Roger Smith. And I say he rolls out, guys, because Graham legitimately broke his leg, very bad leg injury, uh, stuck in a wheelchair here for quite a while. I don't know that he ever returns to the ring. Many years later, uh, he might have come back in like 92. Oh, you're right. Yeah, when he popped. That was, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it was a long time. Because, you know, yeah. this was one of those deals where you think it's like a Ron Wright thing, where it's like, all right, you know, if you ain't been following his career, you think he's going to pop out of that wheelchair for a finish one of these days. And right. you find out, like, no, he's he's legit in a wheelchair. Like, <laughs> And he was there for a long time. You know, I don't know the diagnosis of what really went on with that broken leg, but it was, uh, by all accounts, serious enough to. It basically retired him, at least for a very long time. Yeah, it did. And, and you know, he had a lot of potential. I mean, you know, he probably he wasn't going to work for Vince or anything, but no. he was good at promos. And I think he would have had a good career, you know, across the South had that not happened. Oh, most definitely. I mean, I feel bad for him. He started airing the vignettes to come to Mid-South. You know, what, what Watts could have done with him with the, with the gift of gab mixed, mixed with his ability in the ring. The, oh, uh, the Bruise Brothers. The Bruise Brothers, yeah. The Bruise Brothers were coming down, and then all of a sudden – Next thing you know, Mad Dog Boyd shows up in his place. So it's a sad, sad circumstances all around. Hey, you promised me this and you gave me that. I'm sure Watts wasn't happy. But uh, Graham, though, re- referencing here the interns, their current feud with the dirty white boys who were also heels up until this point, they were banished by Jimmy Hart, but Jimmy Hart went down to Georgia and the white boys kind of, I guess, slowly turned babyface before our eyes. You know, we talked about how weird it was to see uh, Iron Mike Sharp in Memphis. Uh, seeing the dirty white boys in the role of baby faces <clears throat> and this whole it's supposed to be from the, the West coast. They're from, they're from San Francisco and you know, they're baby faces. Just, I don't know this, this, this is all this about the dirty white boys felt weird. I was just like, man, put the mask on and be the grappler, dude. Let's this, this, this <laughs> just ain't working for me. I, you know, I didn't mind them in, in either gimmick, the grapplers or the dirty white boy characters, but again, very hard to buy them as baby faces. I didn't, Mine so much when Tony Anthony did the face turn in Smoky Mountain, but the story was there. So, you know, yeah. he'd been far more established and not even just then earlier on too in his career. But yeah, here it's just, it's really, really weird. Well, and as a single, you know, he was the dirty white boy, Tony Anthony from Bucksnort, Tennessee. I mean, I know they did the gimmick and, you know, Smoky Mountain where he was from New York or whatever, but like they were like, yeah, these guys from California. And then they would, you know, Tony Anthony would start talking and he sounds more country than, you know, just about him. It's not like he, you know, lived, shared a room with Plowboy Frazier or something. It's like, okay, how am I supposed to believe this guy's from California? This guy's never been to California. Right. So Troy Graham here, he points out that Jimmy Hart's been missing in action in recent matches between the interns and the Dirty White Boys. Jimmy Hart, the manager of the Dirty White Boys, but apparently no longer because this brings Jimmy Hart out. Remember, he's back in the territory. We saw him earlier and he's accompanied by Playboy Frazier. So Jimmy Hart here, he does put the interns over, baby. And does admit the Dirty White Boys have become out-of-shape sissies, says Jimmy Hart about his former tag team. Graham says, wait a minute, I ain't no fool asking Jimmy Hart, what are you up to? Jimmy had actually been working down in Georgia, guys, like I said, as part of that exchange, but all over with now, so Jimmy Hart back and we're telling new stories. But Jimmy swears to Troy Graham, he's up to nothing. He's done with the Dirty White Boys, and he seems to be on Troy Graham's side, at least for now. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what. The only person who can give Jimmy Hart a run for his money on babies in a promo is Troy Graham. So this is almost like a nightmare for me to, for these guys to get together. <laughs> like, oh, dear God, I don't think we can handle that many babies in a promo if you put them out here together. You know, uh, SummerSlam 88, essentially what was the end of Superstar Graham, uh, he, he had to do the, uh, the, the commentary. 
uh, replacing Jesse Ventura and every other word was brother. And uh, they yes. actually they had a prime time that Vince host co-hosted an episode of, and they went back and played one of the matches from SummerSlam. And Vince even discussed it on prime time. How many times can he say brother? And this is a babyface announcer talking about another babyface announcer. So, I mean, you know, and we didn't really see Billy Graham much after that, really too much, at least on commentary before he was gone. So, yeah, it, you're right. The, the babies are uh, all over the place here in this back and forth promo as we pivot away just for a moment from Hart and Graham to hear from Playboy Frazier so he can shill his upcoming handicap match against the Batten Twins this Monday night. He says if he can't beat both of them in 10 minutes, he will give them $500. That's not each, Gene. That's just $500. They're going to split that. At least Memphis money was always reasonable, though. Yeah, I mean, you got to sell a lot of fake Rolexes in the back in the dressing room to come up with 500 bucks in, in the 80s, you know. So. <laughs> you got to you gotta sell a lot of nuggets. Oh, he is shaking the nuggets off right now, Randy. Shake a few more nuggets off, get ready. He's taking on the... Remember, the Batten Twins beat Playboy the last time around, so this is a rematch of sorts. So looking forward to seeing what happens here. Will the Batten Twins become $500 richer? We'll just have to wait and see as we head into another break. Back from break this time, Lance Russell talking with the tag team, the formerly the Nightmares... It's Ken Wayne and Danny Davis, and I say formerly because they've been unmasked, so we can see who they are. Nope, no face paint, no masks now, as the duo do gloat about defeating Steve Constance and Tim Ashley in a loser-leaves-town match. But there's also rumors, and I'm going to talk about this with you because I didn't really care for this. Uh, they mentioned that there's rumors of a new tag team coming in at this point called the Daydreams. Uh, they hear that they're actually Steve Constance and Tim Ashley under masks. I wrote, way to spoil it. They say if the rumors are true, they will unmask the daydreams the same way they unmask the nightmares and run them off once and for all. I was not a fan of them alluding to the daydreams being Constance and Ashley before they even frickin' debut. No, I, I didn't get that at all. I mean, I guess uh, they wanted to go ahead and make it feel like there were some stakes to that match that was coming up or whatever, yeah, but... I mean, I think as soon as the people would have seen them come out in those masks, they would have known who they were and what they were, the gist of the story. But yeah, I I, I agree. That made the whole thing really anticlimactic. And, and I found it interesting. I mean, not, I, mean, I guess it's not all that interesting, but I noticed that the first mention of them here this first week, they're the daydreams, but they quickly pivoted to the daydreamers after that. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't catch that on the first round. When I took my notes, initially I called them the daydreamers here, but on the Jerry Lawler show, he calls them the daydreams. And I just assumed Lawler had no idea. So, you know, but I went back and when I started taking notes, I go, wow. So that was the first time I learned that I always thought they were just the daydreamers. But week one, apparently they were the daydreams. Of course, they are, you know, the evil uh, count or the babyface counterpart of the nightmares. So uh, very clever n naming there. But I just I didn't understand the uh, the whole logic behind that. Clearly, they were told to go out there and say that that wasn't something they came up with on their own. I don't think was to give it spoil away, who, you know, who they're going to be working against. But. I just, I don't know. I didn't get it. The rumors. How would you have rumors? We've never seen these guys. So where did the rumors come from? I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Not great. So show goes on. We get Ken Wayne and Danny Davis walking away as Lance Russell then gets an impromptu interview with Jerry Bryant, a uh, jobber extraordinaire up to this point in regards to a matchup last week where Bryant walked off and left his partner alone in a tag team match. Jerry says it's time to start taking care of good old JB. He was booked a team with a guy who should have had to buy a ticket to watch the show, not step in the ring. I love that line. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it wasn't far from the truth either, but 
uh, good old Jerry Bryan, who allegedly was a, a, a good friend of Jerry Lawler's, which right. is why he was always prominent when Lawler was booking. Yeah, you can always kind of tell when the king takes back over. That's a good call, too. Jerry Bryan always utilized in some way, shape, or form, even if it's uh, Memphis Vice. Yep. So next Absolutely. matchup, uh, Gene here, going to go to the expiration of time. A team with the most falls at the end of the program will be the winners, and they did this for years here in the Memphis Territory. They basically played it up like, well, if we got time left at the end of the show, we're going to have a matchup, and it's going to go as many falls as time allows, and the winner, the person who gets the most falls will be deemed the winner. I always thought that was really clever, honestly, and from a kayfabe perspective, because, you know, it's like, all right, well, this is going to be the last match, and if there's enough time, you know, if if there's a finish, then there'll be another fall, and if there's not, the show will end. But you know, because in all these other shows, and all this is supposed to be legit, but you know, they would start a main event at three minutes till the, the hour, right. and you're like, well, all right, either this is going to be a no finish or something screwy is about to happen. And at least with this, you know, you're like, okay, well, it's expiration of time. It's it is what it is. No, and that's why I like the uh, the at least the early '80s Mid South. Bill Watts would throw out those standby matches with a couple of the underneath guys at the end of the show because mm-hmm. TV time remaining. Sometimes we got a winner, sometimes we didn't. You know, and, uh, yeah. And this was kind of like that, a little different because they usually had a lot more time, and we usually got more than one fall, but not always. Here we may we'll have to wait and see what happens. It's going to be Ken Wayne and Danny Davis taking on the team of Jerry Bryant. And Jesse Owens, and that is not the Olympian. Jesse Owens, I don't believe he would be a little too old by this point. But uh, Lance, foreshadowing what's to come, says if he was Jesse Owens, he wouldn't feel secure with Bryant as his partner here today. But Bryant is going to start the match and does well early, working an armbar on the heel duo, as Davis then shouts to a woman in the crowd to shut her mouth, and she audibly replies back. Quickly back on his feet, as is Danny Davis. Why don't you shut your mouth, boy? A couple of wrestlers in there right now. Neither of them, uh, the biggest wrestlers in the area. We're both of them pretty good fighters. So I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> Davis telling somebody in the crowd you to know. shut their mouth. And uh, a few seconds later, it sounded like a female shouting smartass back to, back to <laughs> Davis here on live TV, which is kind of fun for 1985. Oh, yeah, yeah, because... Especially on Saturday morning TV, uh, <laughs> right. TV five. You I was just get watching Scooby Doo, and I got a lady cussing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the match goes on. Uh, Bryant in there finds himself in a bad way, so he finally does tag out to partner Owens. But the nightmares they maul on Jesse briefly before shoving him back to his corner, ordering him to tag back to Jerry Bryant. But Bryant not interested, refusing to tag in Jesse. So Owens. Taking exception to the, the situation, grabs Bryant, commences to attacking his own partner. See, remember, Owen started this thing, by the way, Gene. But the Nightmares, they join in for a triple team beatdown. Apparently not a disqualification, leading to a Nightmare double backdrop and scoring the win here. So Jerry Bryant has, I guess, officially turned heel. That's a good point because, you know, Owens was the aggressor there. You know, I mean... <laughs> Jerry Bryant just wasn't ready to tag in yet. He's still uh, catching his He did his up. part. He already, yeah, he was already he had already been in the ring. You know, Jesse he can't help Jesse Owens was in there for 20 seconds. You know, so but yeah, so uh, here we go. Nightmare scoring a win there. It doesn't look like Owens has a partner any longer. The first fall goes 2 minutes and 51 seconds. After a break, Owens he needs to find himself a new partner. So it's time to shill the Coliseum card once again as we get a VTR for the Mid-South Coliseum at this point in the show. December 31st, Adrian Street over Johnny Wilhoyt. Got to get over Adrian Street here on the show. 
four and a half minutes shown of a 10 minute and 48 second match. Miss Linda going to hold on to Street as uh, Will Hoyt tries a monkey flip off the ropes. Will Hoyt lands hard on the back of his head. Street going to drop an elbow and pick up the win there from the Coliseum. 11-minute match with Johnny Wilhoyt doesn't sound like it, it seemed to be necessary to go that long. True, but I did like that finish. It was a more subtle way for the manager to, uh, you know, interfere and, right. and get a little heat, but not so blatant, not hitting him with a shoe or spraying him in the eyes as she was prone to do. All right, we are back to action, hopefully, here. Now, Jerry Bryan has left his partner high and dry. No, je- no partner for Jesse Owens, it would seem, as the Nightmare's now up one fall to nothing in this matchup. Uh, we wonder if Owens can find a partner. And then we learn he has indeed. Jesse Owens' new partner? <laughs> I feel like we've seen him before somewhere. It's Jerry the King Lawler. So I guess one Jerry was as good as another, as the Nightmare's wanting no part of the King but the bell sounds as Wayne and Davis protest on commentary, but return to the match before being counted out. They just beat the count there. Lawler going to start the fall, so lots of complaining from the heels, trying to stall for the time limit to get to that 1-0 victory here, because every time Jerry throws a fist, they retreat from the ring and complain to the announcers. And this happens like four times, Gene, before Lance announces the TV time has finally expired. Second fall, a draw, if you will, at 2 minutes and 41 seconds. So the Nightmares, the crafty heels that they are, are announced the winners one fall to zero. As they immediately gloat, (laughs) that was uh, their plan all along. Obviously, the Nightmares picking up the win here. Not much here, by the way, of wrestling. Very light wrestling in general this week on the program. (laughs) Yeah, it was was mostly uh, angles and and interviews and... uh... But, you know, I, I have to say, uh, if I was in Memphis in 85 and had the means, I would definitely want to buy a ticket to go see that barbed wire match and uh, some of the other things that they set up here. So, well done. No, it was a great hard sell. Eddie Gilbert and Jerry Lawler both had matches on the show this week. Jerry Lawler had a couple of matches, it would appear, if you want to call this tag team match that. I don't really know. But we learned that the uh, Constance and Ashley may be returning under the masks. Again, as you suggested, perhaps a way just trying to sell those tickets to the Coliseum. Uh, giving everybody kind of a heads up. We're not going to leave them guessing. A new wrestler appeared in town, Joe Lightfoot. Going to see how he plays out here over the next few weeks. But that's pretty much it here for TV this week. Very light on the wrestling. Again, studio wrestling here in Memphis, Not it wasn't really what the company was known for, but it just felt lighter than usual, for for me anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the TV, the, the studio TV, never heavy on wrestling at all. But, yeah, like you say, this this week was especially light. Felt like uh, it was not all hands on deck. Very few uh, wrestlers really, really in the in the studio. It appeared uh, as uh, we continue on Saturday night, uh, the same day as the TV studio program, Fairgrounds Arena, Nashville, Tennessee. I do not have the results, but the advertised card: Eddie Gilbert and Johnny Wilhoyt. It was Davis and Wayne again taking on Constance and Ashley in a loser leaves town match. So you can guess who won that one. It's Jimmy Valiant and Mike Sharp once again in a coward waves the flag. And the interns taking on the Dirty White Boys. Just some of the matches there in Nashville. As we continue on to January 6th and the Jerry Lawler Show. Special afternoon edition due to the NFL playoffs. As we hear the over-the-top, the Starcade theme. This episode recorded actually the day before, January 5th. Now, the Lawler Show typically aired at 11 a.m., but this one going to come on at 5 p.m. Again, because of the NFL. Thinking NFL. So we'll we'll run through some of the notes here because I know we're running a little long on the program and I want to get to the Coliseum show, but uh, just some fun things here. We talked about Lawler being in all sorts of commercials. 
right out of the gate. Danny Dunn's transmission commercial with the King now in seven locations here in 1985. I I tried to Google it. I I don't think it's still in existence, but that's what happens, I guess. Terry Taylor freeze frame video makes it to the Lawler show. There you go. (laughs) I don't know if Jerry okayed that one or not. Uh, We also see the Lance Russell, Terry Taylor promo once again. And then up next, it's time for viewer mail as the King talks about driving in bad weather. And the question is for me. He says, Dear Jerry, I love to watch you wrestle. I really think you're the best. And for someone who is as busy as you are, I would like to know uh, how much time you get to spend at home and if you get vacations. Good luck in 1985. Signed, Susan Emery. Uh, Susan, that is a good question. Uh, As you heard Terry Taylor mention a while ago, uh, this is a very tough profession, not only in the ring, but outside as well. The, uh, the traveling schedules are always very hectic. Um, and then every now and then you get something like the weather that we've just had the past few days will, will uh, even add more difficulty to that. As a matter of fact, uh, last Thursday night, I wrestled in a, in a city just north of Bowling Green, Kentucky, and um, was driving, and then all the weather hit. I wound up having to drive 350 miles back to Memphis at 35 miles an hour. So uh, I spent, when I added it up, almost uh, uh, 20 hours getting to and from a match that lasted less than 20 minutes. So that kind of thing takes place a lot. You don't get to spend a lot of time at home. You spend a lot of time traveling uh, in airports, uh, driving, that kind of thing. As far as vacations, though, I do uh, fortunately get a chance to uh, take a vacation every now and then. Uh, Vacations are usually a little different. I don't like to go places on vacation, sort of like a mailman taking a walk on his day off. What I like to do (laughs) spend a vacation is just to get to stay at home a little bit. So, Susan, hope that answers your question. You know, you don't think about that. You know, a guy the caliber of Jerry Lawler having to drive from show to show and deal with the same he he doesn't he's not a, he's the king but he's not above the weather so he has to deal with the same weather as all the other wrestlers that's right i mean even though Lawler, i mean even though uh gilbert would have us believe in the uh this is your life segment that he flew that's just simply not true lawler right. drove the memphis territory just like everybody else <laughs> right. that's a prime example yeah it's, it's just funny listening to him talk about well i you know i drove i drove about 20 hours total going from memphis to somewhere up in kentucky and back because of the weather and you know working a you know 20 minute match or whatever the case may be but it's just how it was. It still is, you know, for the indie guys out there that, that make those kind of trips. Absolutely. Because indie guys aren't flying either. As the show no. continues on, Jerry Lawler speaks with the former Nightmares, Ken Wayne and Danny Davis. They talk about their current feud with the Daydreams and their upcoming matchup against that tag team at the Mid-South Coliseum. Our very first look at the Daydreams coming here just the following day in Mempho. And lots of shilling here. We get the Jerry Lawler t-shirt, the Jerry Lawler book, the crowning of a king. Imagine that, putting himself over here. As next, we were supposed to hear from Troy Graham on the show, but we're running short on time. So instead, Lawler lobbies to go to a Wrestling in Texas special. Kind of weird. Appears to be a short news piece. I suppose the Dallas area. We hear from the Fantastics here. Uh, Ed Tutal Jones. Kind of weird choice for a Memphis segment I wrote. Yeah, it was. I... I can only assume that Troy Graham just, you know, wasn't able to get there. Or what, I, I don't know why you would cho- choose this odd Texas piece over, you know, the guy that's going to be on your show Monday night, but it was what it was. Yeah, he wanted to get that in. You know, he, he noted because we saw the Fantastics here with the sparkly little jackets and the bow ties. Lawler had to get this in. He said, well, you know, you guys all know Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton. They're a tag team now called the Fantastics, and they're doing a fabulous ones impersonation, but he wishes them <laughs> success. Yeah, that was a good shot by Lawler. Like you say, that whole video could have simply been played just for Lawler to get that in. That's what I thought. I, it's uh, the first thing that came to my mind. He saw this. He's like, "Oh no, that's 
that's one of our gimmicks. I gotta, you know, gotta gotta put the kibosh on that. But he does wish them success after he mentions that. Good call on that. That's that's. I think he just solved the puzzle right there. <laughs> and you gotta love those closing credits. There the there they are. All those sponsors. Jerry Lawler standing next to random local company owners, getting his hair cut, half naked in that tanning bed. I just wrote yeesh. <laughs> he gets around. You know, all those years of the WWF and the promotional considerations paid for by the following. And of course, it's all these different actual companies, right? But here on the Jerry Lawler show, it's Jerry Lawler pimping all of these, actually literally in the in the pictures of all of these different things. So it's not them so much paying for Lawler. It's Lawler really shilling their stuff. So I can't imagine what, what he got out of all of this back in the day. He did all right for himself, I think. <laughs> I think so. Him and his uh, Coca-Cola collection. You know, as uh, over as Lawler was in that area, you take this thing seriously. Take the Jerry Lawler show seriously, as over as he was, Gene. Give him a better set, because this was not it. And a non-wrestling co-host to handle some of the other stuff that goes on here. And this, I think this would have worked in the local non-wrestling fans. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think if they would have not leaned quite so heavy into the wrestling, it, it could have drawn a more mainstream audience but i guess at the end of the day they're really mostly about promoting you know selling tickets to the show on monday nights so it it served its purpose but yeah i'm very very sure it could have crossed over like you say with a little more you know non-wrestling appeal uh plenty more jerry lawler shows to come guys i promise you are gonna have a lot of fun uh with some of those uh, as we go on also here a special sunday stop at the louisville gardens uh, usually the Tuesday night stop for the Memphis Territory, but here it's Sunday night. Going to be Lanny Poffo and Joe Lightfoot battling the Terminators, Riggs and Crow, with Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart, the manager of the brand-new tag team Terminators. We'll talk more about them in the upcoming weeks here on the program. Uh, to a no contest, it would seem. Also, Mike Sharp over Tojo Yamamoto. How much do you think that match? Uh, how good? The five-star classic? Wow. I will just keep moving. <laughs> All right. Because I'm, sure I'm sure they didn't. No, <laughs> We'll do it for them. It's the interns over the Dirty White Boys, Ken Wayne and Danny Davis again over Constance and Ashley in a Loser Leaves Town match. So I think we're complete now. I believe they've lost uh, pretty much all the big cities at this point. Louisville now uh, making the rounds. So they should be the daydream daydreamers everywhere after this Monday night. Hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert battling Jerry Lawler to a no contest here in the main event of Louisville, just like we saw December 31st in the Mid-South Coliseum. And speaking of that Mid-South Coliseum. Here we are. We finally have arrived. January 7th, our very first Mid-South Coliseum show of 1985. Special reduced prices, Gene, four, five, and six dollars. My God. Imagine paying six dollars for a front row seat. And even even when you add in, factor in, what would that be today? To 18 bucks, maybe? I mean, my God. I mean, for a for a barbed wire main event, you can't beat that. That's uh, quite the bargain. Absolutely. So we kick the show off. It's Johnny Wilhoyt battling brand new wrestler to the territory, dangerous Danny Hager to a draw. And Danny Hager actually a little more famous down in the Southwest Territory, teaming with his buddy Eric Embry, both men from Kentucky. Uh, they were the fabulous blondes down there. Uh, but here he is up here. He's Danny Hager using his real name. Yeah, I wasn't real familiar with him prior to this i did a little research on him and, and read a little bit of what, what you're referring to so it'd be interesting to see how long he sticks around here in memphis yeah well and he, he looks pretty solid here i mean he certainly doesn't look like a jabron if you will completely he seems to know what he's doing there to some degree and again you know him and eric Embry, they probably worked a lot of the outlaws uh, in the kentucky territory before they made it big yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first time I spotted him on TV, I was like, he looks like uh, if you crossed Eddie Gilbert and his brother Doug Gilbert into one person, it would be Danny Hager. Wow, that's very interesting. I guess I guess you, I could see that. Also on this show, and I actually got a note here from uh, Blair Krieger in regards to this matchup. It's noted everywhere, including Tim Dill's book, Lanny Poffo battling Gypsy Joe to a draw. Krieger noted that he thinks it, it was a typo. It should be Joe Lightfoot because Joe was in the territory at this point. The name of the opponent is Joe, and Gypsy Joe shows up nowhere else other than this one single card. So it makes sense to me, Lanny Poffo and Joe yeah, Lightfoot here. Absolutely. So, that, make, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Um, good catch yeah, there because I, I, I would have never even noticed it. As uh, we roll on, exotic Adrian Street, Miss Linda in his corner over Tojo Yamamoto. Playboy Frazier does indeed defeat the Batten twins, Brad and Mark Batten. So Frazier putting up that $500, but he gets to keep it along with his nuggets. Ah, uh, he is shaking the nuggets off right now, Randy. Just keep shaking those nuggets, big Stan. As we go on, it's Ken Wayne and Danny Davis defeating the Daydreams. That's Constance and Ashley under masks, if you guys don't know by now, defeating them by disqualification. I'm not really sure the finish what led to that DQ there, but the heels go over on a DQ, but the it does appear Constance and Ashley have indeed returned under the hood. Like I say, the the first time or two that, you know, Babyface lost, the loser leave, and they came back under the mask, it was fun. But by this point, and especially guys at this level of the card, it's just it's kind of a groan for most folks. But, you know, it's something to do with them, I guess, to keep the feud going rather than just the same four guys wrestling, you know, week in, week out. It's it's a it's a twist and turn in the story, but uh, it's just so overdone, dude. Up next, more tag team action. Southern tag team champions, the interns with Troy Graham in their corner, battling the dirty white boys to a no contest. And as uh, we know, the Southern tag team title is going to be held up due to this. Uh, I, it was really, I think it was a double pinfall. Oh, God. The, yeah, they show the match in coming weeks on uh, one of the on one of the uh, other shows. So if you want to talk about that result, then we can, because I absolutely hate that finish. Well, we can touch on yeah. it a little bit here because I don't want to leave people hanging as to what's going on. But yeah, we once the video plays, we can talk on it a little bit more. Obviously, when the tournament's coming, there's going to be a tournament coming up for the held up uh, Southern Tag Team titles. But basically, we were guaranteed a winner here, and uh, we wind up getting one member of each team pinning the other team at the same time, the referee counting. So technically, both teams won, but both teams lost, and thus, no contest. Again, me being Mr. Logical and literal, like... If it's one of those deals or two referees somehow end up involved, but didn't one referee count both pins? So why the hell would you count both pins at the same time? Like it's <laughs> it's stupid. You read but, my mind. You know, <laughs> it uh it got the belts held up, and that's where we wanted to go. But ah, oh, it just when I watched it, I just full body cringe. I was like, God, oh, I hate that. Like <laughs> my wife's like, what are you doing over there? I was like, ah, this finish was stupid. And she's like, oh, a wrestling finish. It's stupid. I've never heard you gripe about that before. Yeah. Yeah. So. Also here uh, on the card, <clears throat> macho man, Randy Savage back in the territory after disappearing for a few weeks, uh, defeating the mid American champion, Mike Sharp on a disqualification. Can you believe that the macho man not putting away Mike Sharp? This is uh, definitely not the world wrestling federation. <laughs> Yeah, if you told somebody, like, hey, uh, I'm going to show you a match where uh, it's Randy Savage taking on Iron Mike Sharp with a championship on the line, you'd never get him to believe you that, A, 
Mike Sharp is the champion and B, <laughs> Randy Savage doesn't walk out the champion. Right, it's, yeah. Uh, it's crazy here. I mean, you'd think uh, instantly that uh, Savage uh, gets the belt, but nope. Uh, Mike Sharp going to live to fight as champion another day. The Macho Man going over only on a disqualification as we head into the main event of the night. It is Southern heavyweight champion Jerry the King Lawler taking on hot stuff Eddie Gilbert in a barbed wire match, wrapping the barbed wire all around the ring ropes. I'm sure it was a bloody battle as the King gets the Duke, defeating hot stuff here in just over 16 minutes time. Jerry Lawler retains the title, and this feud, no doubt, will continue on. Yeah, and again, that's kind of an only in Memphis thing where, you know, the second match in their feud would jump right to barbed wire and Lawler wins, but we're not close to done. It's kind of strange, but again, rules rules don't necessarily, the usual wrestling rules of logic don't necessarily apply in Memphis, so. I think it's safe uh, to I, say. I'm guessing they probably didn't get wrapped up like Sabu and <laughs> yeah. in ECW. I'm probably guessing. not. Probably not. That would have been intriguing, but uh, probably not. I'm assuming the Stan Frazier Batten twins feud is over with at this point, but it looks like the interns and dirty white boys will continue on. The nightmares and the daydreamers will continue on. I think we get more Randy Savage and Mike Sharp, but I don't want to call it a feud. And uh, Lawler and Eddie Gilbert, no doubt, will continue as well. So we got a couple of newcomers here Joe Lightfoot, Danny Hager in the territory. So just a mixed bag of things going on here in the Memphis territories as we begin the new year. Uh, that's pretty much it. We've set the stage the first week of 1985 in the books, Gene. Well, it was uh, quite the uh, quite the exciting week of TV, and it rolls right into a, a barbed wire match and a, a screwy double pin, no contest, titles held up finish at the Coliseum, and we've got daydreamers here and all kinds of great stuff going on. Yeah, the storyline itself, I mean, it had been done with the Midnight Rider, it had been done with uh, Stagger Lee, but here it is now, it, the underneath guys, so to speak, Constance and Ashley, even pulling off the old masked uh, gimmick as they return under the hoods to fool everyone, or at least the heels, into rematches here against Davis and Ken Wayne. So more of that to come in the weeks to come, guys. So stay tuned as the storylines continue and new ones develop each and every week because, after all, it is the Memphis territory. Anything can happen in Memphis long before that was a catchphrase in the WWF. <laughs> well, that's it's certainly true. That's that's for certain, man. Gene, I appreciate you joining the show this week, man, and covering the first week of 1985. Lots to break down there. We ran a little longer than usual, mostly because we covered a couple of those Coliseum cards at the end of 84 as well to kind of set the stage of where we're at here with Hot Stuff and Lawler. But also, man, there were some good sound bites there with Eddie Gilbert. Oh, definitely. Uh, definitely worth the time to hear those sound bites and to kind of go over those Coliseum cars to, again, kind of give a little context to where we're headed. But, man, Ray, thank you so much for uh, for letting me be involved with this. I'm super excited. It was just as fun as I hoped it would be, and uh, I look forward to what's next. Yeah, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. We had some fun here. That was my intention walking into this. I kind of felt like that would be how things would flow between us. Again, this is our first outing and I thought, you know, I enjoyed it with you and I certainly want to have you back every time you can make it here to keep covering week after week here in the Memphis territory, man. Well, anytime, uh, anytime you need me, I will definitely be here. I mean, I know you're going to uh, bring Steve in when he can, but any week that he can't do it, I will clear my schedule and uh, make time to do it because I love Memphis wrestling. Uh, I love all the podcasts that you put out. You know, I've, I just, just recently discovered it a few months ago or a couple of months ago via the Bob Root podcast. And I've been binging all of them and uh, 
like I say, man, you put a lot of work into them. I appreciate what you do, and I certainly appreciate you letting me be involved in it. And oh, folks, let pleasure. me just say, uh, let me just say, uh, I know he's going to say it again after we go off here, but as uh, I'm not only a uh, Russell Copia co-host, I'm also a patron, as uh, <laughs> the old Sy uh, <laughs> Sperling used to say yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Uh, but I highly recommend you guys uh, joining up at the five dollar tier. There is so much great content uh the value is just yeah i I can't begin to tell you for that low low price there's just so much there between uh the notes and the podcasts and all the downloads and the magazines and all that stuff man give it a try i guarantee you like me you will stick around well i appreciate that that wasn't even solicited so i appreciate you you saying all that gene as we close out the show here man but uh, you're more than welcome back on the next episode when we uh, tackle more Memphis because we got to continue. I keep telling this Jerry Lawler, Eddie Gilbert story. Well, I'd like to see you stop me, brother. I will be here. Oh, excellent. Great to hear, guys. So you heard him right here. He already verified he will return for the next episode of the Memphis 85 Project on the program. So until then, Gene, I just I really appreciate your time. It's getting late, so I appreciate you giving me a little bit of your time here. Glad to do it, man. Thank you. All right, guys, it's going to wrap it up here this week. Woo, one week in the books. So much more to come here in 1985 in the Memphis Territory. I want to thank guest Gene Jackson again. Jamie Ward, Roman Gomez going to be back very soon. Talking more Georgia 81, more UWF 86 on the way. And I am your host, Ray Russell. Remember to follow me on X at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And we'll be back soon with more regional wrestling, where we talk the territories. Mm-hmm.